Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's night. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from the deepest recesses of our minds here in 2019. I am one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Iscove. And with us today is Carrie Doherty. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Yep. Um, she is a television writer. You currently are writing on a show called Schooled, mm-hmm. um, which will be debuting or premiering. Premiering uh, J- Wednesday, January 9th at eight thirty after the Goldbergs. It's a spinoff of the Goldbergs. Takes place in the nineties. We have a lot of Tim really Meadows. fun. Tim Meadows, Brian Callen, AJ Machalka, uh, Lennon Parham um, is one of my favorite uh, like improv actors. She's amazing. She'll be on the show. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's awesome. Yeah, Lennon. Parham had the show uh, on USA. What was that? Playing House. Playing House right? yes. and uh, Best Friends Forever. I think was the other show she had with uh, Jessica St. Clair. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's very she's very funny on our show. She plays one of the teachers. Nice, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and before we got on, Carrie had also mentioned she'd written on other '90s shows, mm-hmm. and you should see her jacket. I wish you guys could see her jacket. <laughs> well, you can describe her jacket. It's covered in just the coolest pins you could possibly ask for. One of which being Barbara from Beetlejuice, which is the one that caught my eye the first time. Right, but not just Barbara, not just Barbara but obviously. very specifically the, the the version when she tears her head open really big and has the eyes on her tongue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And she also <laughs> Kenny from Dunton on the Basers Dead, which um, yeah. warms my heart. Because, dishes you know, are done, man. All of these are, pins dishes are, are just done, fantastic. Man. Yeah. The dishes not are lot, done, man. Not a lot of Kenny's in pop culture that I can be proud of. <laughs> I mean South Park. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. Mm, oh, we really did like 
Kenny in South Park. He really is. A, I have a lot to say about this movie, actually. <laughs> Kenny Fisher from Can't Hardly Wait, also. Seth Green's character from Can't Hardly I Wait. I thought that his name was Kenny Fisher. So do I. Yeah. He was an Because didn't he have Fisher. some other, like, horrible, stupid, like, pseudo rapper name or something like that? Or am I making that up? Maybe. Um, K Fish. Maybe. Like K-fish. a. K Fish. Is that right? Uh, no, I made that up. <laughs> it sounds right, though. Yeah. I just remember. I first of all, Can't Hardly Wait's a great movie. I'm it's not, so I'm great. I'm not going to say anything bad about it. But I do think that that character and that sort of persona that person is such a moment that makes me feel icky <laughs> like just the the oh the sure white guy the appropriation like, of, yeah, all, all yeah. Of it. it's just it makes me go like Ugh. there is no modern analog yeah, for that guy kind of is i think i mean yeah i mean i went to high school with guys like that That's but right. i definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. don't that was I, every guy in high school it was a lot of guys, a in, lot high of guys in high school so and and we see it in a lot of high school movies. It's yes. ne- obviously mm-hmm. never the protagonist, even though Idle Hands kind Gets of was there-ish, though. That was more his but friends. And he was a little more grunge. Yeah, he was like a yeah, yeah he was like kind of grunge yeah. donor slacker. Something yeah. like that. And yeah. a little more it was a little less of an effect that he was putting on. Like I Yes. I've really grown to kind of appreciate that movie. <laughs> I so love that. Really I rewatched I it lately. Yeah. I just I was so bummed when I saw that you guys had already done it because I this Idle Hands would have been the one. But I'm very excited to come on for this movie because I hadn't seen it in a long time. So, based on your jacket, <laughs> yeah, and how much you love the '90s, yeah, and the shows you've you've written on, mm-hmm. Stir Back Coast is not the obvious choice. Yeah. So yeah. why did you uh, why'd you go with it? I picked it because I I wanted to come on and do a movie that I hadn't seen for a while so that I could maybe have some kind of fresh new take on it. (laughs) Um, But also, I feel like 99 was around the time of like, like this came out and then What Lies Beneath, you sort of had these kind of supernatural ghosts infiltrating people's lives. I mean, you know, The Sixth Sense. So to me, 1999 was a lot about those specific types of movies. And it just interested me because I haven't, you know, I haven't been back to to see this movie for a while. So um feels like this movie got slapped on too. Like it feels like a movie that, you know, having worked in video stores and what have you, this was a movie that felt like there's a couple movies where Donnie Darko was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boondock Saints was another one of them where it's, those were both straight to video, at least in, in Canada they were. And they were movies that people sort of found and discovered. And this feels like one of those movies too, that didn't get much of an audience when it came out because it came out so shortly after the sixth sense. Mm. And it became a video movie, a movie that I feel like a lot of people discovered on video. And, That's and, probably and when a lot I of people it, have yeah. sort of talked about it in a very favorable light. Um, and we'll talk about it a little bit cause I did, you know, some research on it, but it does feel like they, they pushed, and by they, I mean David Kapp and Kevin Bacon both wanted the film to come out before The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. And the studio just wouldn't have it because they were like, The Sixth Sense isn't going to do well, so who gives a shit? Man. And, it, and it's just – it's one of those things where had this film come out in April like they were trying to push for for spring, mm-hmm. I think this movie could have could have hit bigger. Maybe. it's hard Or to, maybe not. I don't it's know. hard to say. I, I think like – I think that these two share a lot of the bones of the movie. But they're not similar movies. No. Tonally, they're not similar. Not at all. I mean, we did Sixth Sense already. Sixth Sense is like, you know, it's it's kind of a slow-moving, gothic-inspired kind of almost painting. Right. And this movie's a very visceral, Mm -hmm. uh, very kind of of ground level. Very much so. um, Type and literally below ground uh, type of grimy, gritty movie. Yeah. They don't – to me, they don't resemble each other at all with with the exception of – a kid that's the, a medium, yes, basically. Yes, the medium. Yeah. Right. It, I, I fully agree with you. I think that um, 
this is also a very blue collar movie. Mm-hmm. Like I kept thinking about of like Dennis Lehane a lot, you know, and and Mystic River, Mystic River, yeah, mm-hmm. and and those type of films. Yep. Um, so it really feels like more of a meditation on like blue collar community and right. you know things getting out of hand and and us not really knowing our neighbors and that that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. Then it is really a supernatural thriller. It has yeah, a supernatural. Sure. Th- obviously, it is sure. a supernatural thriller. Um, but the supernatural elements are. I guess similarly to Sixth Sense, feel grounded. This is less of a supernatural movie than Sixth Sense to me. Yeah, I um, guess there's less ghosts in this. Yeah, and the the thing about this movie, so w- when I was, rem- you know, when I saw that you were, you know, Serve Echoes was yeah. on the list, I, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that movie. And in it, I'm like, I feel like Kevin Bacon, even though I remembered the plot. Are we allowed to do spoilers here? Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remembered the plot. I'm like, oh, okay. I know he helped solve the murder of this girl. But part of me in the back of my mind, I was like, but I also remember him kind of not being a great guy. Like not as far as Harrison Ford in What Lies Beneath sure. where he was the actual killer. And then when I when I rewatched wait, it wait, last wait, night. Wait. We're not allowed to do spoilers for <laughs> Oh, for other no, movies. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. No, 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 I'm it's imagine? been 85 years. It's yeah. time. No, the, the idea is but, everybody listens to it has seen every movie ever made. Great, yeah. perfect. And I spoil everything. But also, it's been some time. Yeah, and we're going to walk through the plot anyway. So I just sure. tried to spoil yeah. Ralph Breaks the Internet on yeah. our yeah. South Park, and I nearly got beaten up. Oh yeah, but, careful. Yeah. Careful. So, <laughs> but what I realized is that Kevin Bacon. So the so the problem of our, of, of our protagonist is that he leads an ordinary life, and and that kind of bums him out. But when he he starts having these visions, he's not like, oh, I need to solve this murder to bring justice to this poor girl and her family. It's that he becomes obsessed with something exciting. He even says to his wife, this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me. So he's a man who's just creepily obsessed with this new exciting thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not about finding justice for the girl, which to me, I was like, oh yeah, that is kind of why he's not a good guy in this awesome movie. Yeah. Because he's not, remember when he meets the mother and the daughter and he just looks at the picture, he's like, no, I've never seen her. There's never a scene where he goes to the mother and daughter and he's like, I, I want to help you. I found the murderer. It's, so that I don't know. So as I was watching it, I was like, he really isn't a good guy. He's just a. Yeah, he's, he's never obs- a good guy. Yeah, he's obsessed with doing something that is well, exciting I to him because he hates also, his life. I think it's a mixture of that, and I think it's also him trying to cure himself of this "quote unquote" disease. Like I think at, at a, for the first half of the film, he feels like a guy who's just like, I think I'm losing my mind, and I'm scared, and I want to get rid of, I want to get rid of this. Mm-hmm. And then when it becomes sort of about him trying. It feels like Samantha is just an excuse for him to be able to sort of deal with not being special, not mm-hmm. you know, being ordinary, mm-hmm. but then also him wanting to maybe just get closure and and be done with this disease. I don't know. Sure. Because the, like the, the scene when he yells at his kid and he's like begging his kid to like help him like get Oh, through. when he leaves his son in the backyard to dig his hole while he goes into <laughs> the basement. They leave this child unsupervised so, much. so many times yeah. in the movie. He's not unsupervised. He has the ghost watching <laughs> They like in the, at one point they ha, they have the baby they put the baby monitor out and I'm like that kid's way too old to have a baby monitor yeah. it feels like but then they it's because they take to go across the street to, to a party, party. Oh. they are so irresponsible okay. you've hit on so many good things all of all two of you um but that's all right so one in reverse I've heard stories of people like that. And of that, parents that do this? Yeah, a parents who put on the baby monitor to go to, literally to go to parties down the street or to a block party or something along, along those lines. 
Um, my understanding, it's kind of a working class thing to do. Um, you don't want to pay for babysitters. You have the technology. You're right down the street. That's that's the stories I've heard have kind of come from that place. Um, to your point, Phil, I think that this is, I think the best aspect of this movie is kind of the working class idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it it's nice to see a Hollywood movie that isn't either championing championing working class values and working class life as what America is supposed to be or pitying yeah. people in the working class mm-hmm. as poverty stricken and just trying to get out of it. It's a, it's a, it's it, not saying anything about, I, I don't feel like it's taking a stance one way or the that's other. That's the point, right? Right. Yeah. right. It's, it's just, it's just, yeah. a, it's just a, a, a way of living. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just their, their way of life. And it's just another kind of way to tell this story and their particular limit yeah. limitations, both financially and also in terms of access. Yeah. They don't have – Kevin Bacon, if you take a character like, for instance, Cole even in Sixth Sense, like I know that she's a single mother in that movie, but the, the, there's an idea that he has access to a really great child psychiatrist who right. can help him out. That's what that whole thing is kind of predicated on. This family doesn't. No. Well, even if to one step further, even Samantha, the dead girl, her family, they said she went missing six months ago. It doesn't seem like the police are doing anything no, about it. It's a poor person. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that to, to that respect, um, the reason I think in some respects this is a more interesting movie than the Dennis Lehane stuff is those movies always uh, Gone, um, Gone Baby Gone and Mystic Mr. River. Yeah. They come from the idea of there's someone on the inside, someone within the system who is out for justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like that is true in real life. Yeah. But I think for people who actually live in, you know, kind of the lower class of America, it doesn't feel like that at all. Well, this, the Lehane stuff also is a little, a little more hard boiled. Like it's a little bit more cop focused. Like, yeah. You know, this is, I, I, yeah. I just meant in terms of the the characterization, like just the the vibe of it felt oh, very it, Dennis Lehane. No, it does. Yeah. It does yeah. for sure. Um, but then, Carrie, to your point about De- about Kevin Bacon just kind of being out for himself, I I think that you're totally right, and I think it does kind of, I think it kind of hurts the movie because mm. I don't think that the movie's really reckoning with the the point you made that to me is kind of like obviously true once you brought it up. Mm. So I I that that does kind of bother me a little bit that it do, it is kind of a weird hero's journey. But the, what yeah. you kind of what you kind of illuminated for me is it's a little more Walter Whitey than the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And yeah, I don't know yeah. how much he learns by the end. Right. Of the movie. Well, because like, the I other, don't think he grows that. Much. I don't think he does either because the other thing that this family doesn't deal with yeah. is when their son is clearly. Ha, you know, he's talking to ghosts or having visions. And then when the husband starts, it's the same. It's like the Maggie and 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 what's Kevin Bacon's character's name? But they, Tommy. they keep having Tommy. the same fight over and over, which is just like a sort of regular couple's fight where she's like, you know, you're becoming obsessed with doing this one thing. You're kind of neglecting your family. But they never quite address, they never say, and maybe again, it comes down to this working class thing, but they're never like, we need to take our son to a doctor. You need to go to a doctor. And it even goes to show in the end of the movie where they've solved the murder and now they're just packing up and moving away. The movie ends with the child sitting in the back seat, still hearing these voices because they've, they never actually address that. Like, it's so strange. All this is going on and the wife is like, all right, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go to the movies. I'm going to go do this. And, And it's just like, 
they're treating this supernatural thing that's happening to the husband and the son as if it's just normal family problems that like, we just got to work through it, but it's so much more and they never yeah. really address it. it they, they, they really don't. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure anyone even says like, you should go to a doctor at any point in it. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm wrong. I don't think so. I don't but it certainly either. feels that way. I mean, even uh, uh, Lisa, uh, Ileana Douglas's character, mm-hmm. doesn't even really make that suggestion either. She doesn't take any responsibility None. for what she's done, by the way. When he comes to her later and he's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, I need you to undo what you did. She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm really high, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, she takes no responsibility. That's the way I sentences anyway. <laughs> what does she do for a living? By no the idea. way, and she, I don't think it's ever explained. Because I feel like if she's like a therapist or something, she could get a lot of, in a lot of trouble for doing what, for she, doing did. what she did. It's fucked up. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah, it's, she does it as a lark too. It's mm. that that's. <laughs> though, all right, so so that's not my favorite part of the movie. Obviously, that's not my <laughs> like. I I kind of I kind of hate when um, a movie has these kind of grander aspirations, um, and they're spiritual and they're uh, supernatural movies, and they take kind of a hackneyed way in. Yep. Um, this to me is, you know, it's a real dumb, it's a real dumb comparison, but like I was always kind of insulted by liar, liar, wishing on a birthday candle. Like we all yeah. wish on a birthday candle. Those, those, those don't come true. Like I know that's not a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying hypnosis is not real. I'm just saying I've seen it a hundred thousand times. So do something yeah. different with it. Um, yeah. They didn't really, the execution of it, I thought was interesting. I mean, and by that I mean his actual the pops of his mm-hmm. hip, of his hypnosis and the fact that I still can't believe, I read this online that they actually got um a grip to put the safety pin through his hand. Wow. So like that's not a special effect. They like had a stuntman was paid to come in and have a safety pin pushed through his hand. Wait, a stuntman or a grip? Stuntman. Oh, I'd love to meet that grip if it was a grip. <laughs> I, we all, yeah. you, you know that guy on set. You're like, yeah, Jimmy will do it. He's like, oh, man, I've been waiting my whole life. Yeah, he's like, it's my moment. <laughs> but I thought that, I mean, overall, I thought the hip, the, the pops to the hypnosis yeah. actually really worked. I think that one of my favorite shots in the film is when he's floating in the chair yeah. through, the, through the theater. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a really arresting, really mm-hmm. cool shot. Did you guys find yourselves closing your eyes and, and picturing it at first when no. the screen was, okay, just me? All right. <laughs> I mean, listen. I don't want to get hypnotized. I thought you know that. And to that point, there's a there's a ding or something at the end of the hypnosis because they wanted to make sure that they didn't actually hypnotize people. Oh, interesting. They did like an actual hypnosis, so there's a ding to wake you up if you did actually get hypnotized during that thing. Because they don't want people to come out and say, "I fell asleep during the movie," and then that's what makes it into the reviews or something like that too. Yeah, I would have fallen asleep. (laughs) I actually Um, I watched it over the series of three nights on my computer. After I put the kids to bed, because I just right, yeah, yeah. Um, so I did fall asleep twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you heard no it here knock, first. No knock on the movie, though. That uh, truly had nothing to do. It was like eleven o'clock, and I was exhausted. So, um, I know we've just uh, dove into all of this, but I want to rewind for a second and ask you some biographical. Oh, questions. great! So, okay. where were you in nineteen ninety nine? Nineteen ninety nine. I was in Carver, Massachusetts. Uh, in tenth oh, grade, maybe tenth okay. grade, eleventh grade, tenth eleventh grade. Okay. Uh, so I was in high school in ninety nine. Did 99. you see a lot of the movies in ninety nine? Were you? I did. Okay. I did. Yeah. Um, I went to the movie theater a lot. My sister worked at Max Movies, which was like a mom and pop movie store, and we would get to bring home any movies that we wanted at the end of the day and bring That's them awesome. back first okay. thing in the morning. So I did. I saw a lot of movies, and then you know, Blockbuster. I'd go to Blockbuster sure, and sure. and rent stuff. And what were your favorite films of ninety nine? Were any My on the favorite? top of your head? By um, 
Idle Hands, definitely. Sure. I yeah had that on VHS, and I yeah I loved it. I absolutely loved that movie. Um, you know, she's all that I uh-huh. liked. Um, I mean, you were a teenager. I was a teenager. So I'm assuming that you know the Never Been Kissed and the Ten Days yeah, I Yeah, yeah. The ones I really resonated with were Can't Hardly Wait. I was 15 when that came out. Saw it in the theater three times. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> As you do. Let's see. What were the yeah. other? Uh, I mean, the big ones. You know, you got ones? your Matrix uh, mm-hmm. election, Talented Mr. Ripley, Eyes Wide Shut, American Beauty, Dudley Do Dudley Do Six Sense. Uh, oh, uh, Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch Project. Yeah. So Blair Witch Project. Um, I saw right when it came out and it was when everybody still believed that the kids were missing and we had to get because we weren't I think you had to be 17 to get tickets so we had our friend my friend Danielle's mom Bonnie bought the tickets for us and then she was going to leave and they were like no ma'am you have to go into the theater and so she went and saw it with us and was terrified and I know poor Bonnie (laughs) um and that movie scared the crap out of me because I thought it was real. And still the um, seeing, what was his name? Kevin Michael, the guy standing in the corner at the very end, right before the camera drops, still to this day, like free, kind of freaks me out. I remember, I mean, we had a Blair Witch episode, but but I will say that in the theater, seeing that film, that final shot, at least five to seven people screamed. Like just oh, just like sure. just screamed out loud. Mm-hmm. It was an awesome it's movie. An awesome, it's it's an awesome. So great. That'll never be replicated. No. That thing. Paranormal activity came close in terms of like being like a small budget, yes. you know, and, and then just massively, you know, doing so so well yeah. at the box office and spawning sequels and I really like that too. Yeah. I've never I, seen any of the paranormal oh, activities. That's a, that's a great movie too. But in terms of it's like scary. You know, I thought this is so stupid. I thought that uh, a quiet place kind of had that vibe for me. Not like I'm not talking about the found footage thing, right? But kind of that like I'd never seen a movie like it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to expect, mm-hmm. and at times it really did scare me. Um, Have you but, watched Bird Box yet? I'm not going to watch Bird Box. I think Bird Box is better than a Quiet Place. Oh maybe, shit! Maybe I'll watch Bird Box. <laughs> Here's what I'll say: Is it scary? It's to, what I liked about the movie, I'll and I'm not going to I'm not going to give anything away. The growth of Sandra Bullock's character in mm. that movie is what I thought was the best part of the movie. Okay. It, it was just about her growth as a character. How scary is it? Because I'm a wuss. Not uh, okay. not very scary. Okay. I think, like, not a lot of, like, jump scares, okay. I guess. Which, to me, those are the it's ones psychological that... psychological more than it is... Yeah. And it's... Yeah. Like okay. I said, it's more about her... You're, you're following her journey. Um, it's... To... to- yeah, she has like kids or something. Is that? Yeah, it and it's 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 a, it's about a lot of it's about motherhood. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just really resonated with me more than a quiet place. But I think a quiet place aesthetically and and the idea that you know there was so little sound in the movie and that you could still be captivated by a movie that had a lot of signing and not a lot of mm-hmm. sound. Um, I still thought that movie was very beautifully directed and. And the, you know. I still haven't seen a quiet place. I got to see both these movies. Yeah. I just haven't had a chance to see them. As I've said on this podcast before, Phil and I, despite being friends for 15 years, <laughs> never seen a movie together. <laughs> and, and host a podcast together, have never actually seen a movie together. Yeah, South Park was the first time we ever watched a We film ever together. sat down and watched a film together, yeah, but we never, still never got to the theater together. No. We did once buy tickets to a movie together. We did, and then I and then I bitched out. It was it. And he, <laughs> you, bought tickets, and I was like, I can't do it. I'm out. He's like, I can't do it. <laughs> Wait, why? I'm, I'm too scared. Were you scared? There's no way I'm sitting in a theater watching a, a 
clown. You were so children. close. You were like, I'm going to do it. I was it. like, because I, like, I wanted to see it because everyone was talking about it. And right. I, I've heard subsequently that it's not that scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'll fast forward through it on HBO at some point. You're going to have to watch scary movies for this year. Not really, right. thankfully. All right. Um, but yeah, so, um, Stir Echoes. Yeah. <laughs> also a movie about parenthood. Yes. Just like Bird Box, right? Yeah. This movie is a movie about parenthood. And, and, and yeah. I, just to, to pivot back to what we were saying earlier about the baby monitor and the going to the party. In that moment, I thought to myself, you don't very rare, you very rarely see parents that are trying to stay cool. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Parents mm-hmm. that don't want to let go of. I had a life before I had kids. Right. You know, you see I it was in real life. You sure? You, but you don't see it, see it very much in movies because it's kind of unlikable. Yeah. Um. And, but it was interesting to watch a guy who was in a band mm-hmm. and the band didn't make. I mean, he has a great that speech he gives, which is lacking in subtext a little bit, but it's early in the film when he's like, "I'm sorry that I didn't make anything of myself. Mm-hmm. Like I know that I told you that I was going to be something, and now I'm not anything." Is a really nice moment. Um, and it does give you a window into this guy's headspace, mm-hmm. but you're also like, you're also a dick. Yeah, like, you didn't need to be a dick as yeah. well. You can be ordinary and not be an asshole. Right. But it's such an interesting idea. Um, everything you're talking about, the idea that this guy kind of considers himself to be a failure. Yeah. And back to what Carrie said in the beginning, that he looks at this as his like journey from ordinary, from, from like ordinariness, that's word, uh, Ordinariness. Yeah, Ordinarianalistness. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, the that, correct, yeah. That's, that's correct, correct pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. uh, towards something more exciting. Um, right, which is solving the murder of a <laughs> dead girl and getting to it's Yeah, it's yeah. makes me wonder if they had the wrong ending. That's what I'm getting at. Like this idea of it's 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 not. It's not a good it's not a good tr- like kind of emotional trans um like like an like an emotional transference onto some other activity mm-hmm. to kind of find fulfillment in your own life and he succeeded in the immediate task he succeeded mm-hmm. in, in, in his immediate goal and obviously he doesn't doesn't succeed in the goal that he doesn't even realize is there which is fixing his son or keeping his family together but maybe he shouldn't shouldn't have succeeded at all is kind of what i'm getting mm-hmm. at like mm-hmm. he may not deserve to succeed Right? Like, I think this happens a lot with, like, you know, white male protagonist characters, where as flawed as they are, as selfish as they are, like, they still are given the win. And I don't think this character necessarily earned the win. I'm not really, I don't really say that as a judgment, as a negative judgment on this movie. This movie's interesting enough Mm -hmm. that they set this world up in such a way where I I, I do think they built an interesting character. But um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if that's the right ending for this movie, given what we're talking about. Yeah, Yeah, it does feel, it does feel a little pat. At the end, you know, it, there there is an element of the way that it resolves itself and us, you know, how they – I've not read any of Matheson's books, but I believe he has a fair amount of them. Um, and it, it does it does have a little bit of a like – and then then and then this happened and this happened and this happened. Now everything's wrapped up with a bow and a bunch of people get shot and it's over. Um, and then Jennifer Morrison – this is the first movie I saw her in, by the way. And Jennifer Morrison, like, dances in puts her coat on in what feels like a JCPenney ad. She's like, hmm, yeah. like, ties her coat up yeah. and just, ha, ah, and then walks away. Yeah. That was crazy. <laughs> it was a little yeah. – It had it had a little bit of – Did she walk of, away a happy ghost? Is that what happened? Yeah, she, she yeah. walks away. She's freed now. But I was I was wondering, I was like, well, what freed her? Is it that he found her body? Is that that her killers, her killers are now to justice. dead, I guess? I, yeah. But it, 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 it had a lovely Bones vibe to me. 
in a weird way. Mm. Um, and I think that movie is flawed. It's been a minute since I saw that in the theater. Um, and I also, read the book. also, like, <coughs> Ghost Ghost. Like, Ghost, ghost, pro- ghost, ghost, ghost yes. Proper. Ghost Proper. Um, the, the Demi Moore Demi Moore Ghost. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yes, this okay. whole idea of, like, yeah. I don't know if that's what murdered people really, like, are really want. Like, for you to bring their killers to justice. Is that what like murdered people are just like like pining after? Well, the studio certain. I mean, I think it's that there's 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 a very kind like of it's a very ethereal idea. To it me. is, and it's also a rounded off way of ending your movie. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. it's just it's very it is satisfying, quote unquote, to an audience that's looking for some sort of closure and looking for something to be wrapped up. Um, I just think that this movie, despite the fact that it has that button at the end of the kid covering his ears because of all the houses and all the spirits that he's hearing, and and that's a nice creepy image. Sure. Um, I think the film could have just bled off the pages a little bit more and not been so for, for specifically for Kevin Bacon's character. It felt a little bit like okay, all is well, it's fine. It felt I like they her. realized they were coming up to the ninety yeah. minute mark, and, and they like, we were like, ah, time. guys, yeah, we can't yeah. really spend any more time. Can we talk about the like the rules of the movie, the supernatural rules? <laughs> the lack thereof. I would sure. love to. <laughs> so I started making a list of the abilities that Kevin Bacon and his son had. So he he's able. So he's sort of become like a medium, right? And that he's seeing these visions, he's able to sort of start sort of communicating with this girl, but he's also um, can see into the future because when he sees his yes. friend who's like, they would have killed you. And then he walks outside and he's, oh, yeah, yeah. So he's, he's also having like dream sequence, the dream thing. sequence. Yeah. So he's also seeing yeah. into the future, which was confusing, a little confusing. Yeah. And then the kid, the son also has this um, like, telepathy ability uh-huh. which felt very when they were in the cemetery it felt very the shining where he's talking with the police officer who's black who's yes yes I, yes i mean it definitely had like a danny torrance um and a, mr yes. halloran whatever his name was can we also talk about that guy real quick i wrote down what he said because i thought it was so creepy so <laughs> the kids the kid, they come across like a police funeral and mm-hmm. they go into the cemetery and they do this little wave to each other, and then the cop follows them back into the cemetery, and he, like, turns to Maggie, the wife, and he's like, your kid, he's got the gift. And she's like, yeah, and he's like, and your daddy has it now, too, right? And she's like, yeah, I think so. And he gives her a card, and he says, tell daddy to come by and see me a little later tonight. He might learn a few things. And I was like, did nobody at any point yeah. when they were reading that or on set go, he's, he called him daddy. <laughs> He was like, tell daddy to come by and see me tonight. It was just, it just. No, no, not okay. It was just, I was like, oh, weird. it, it yeah. sounds weird. I didn't, I definitely thought the shining thing at that moment as well. Um, I, I also just felt like I just, and we talked about this in the green mile, but I just, the magical black people and just like being sort of having some sort of qualities they don't hit it nearly as hard in this as they did in the Green Mile. Lord knows. Well, the but, Green Mile is about that. Yeah. But like they hit it here. A like bit, it's definitely bit. it's definitely like you have some you have some supernatural character yeah. whose mm-hmm. only trait is that he is supernatural. Yes. It's and on it's top of that, like But it, I mean it's, well, it is he, what it is. He, he, I just come out. Like, I wonder if it actually was a nod to the shining. Like I wonder if it, it, I it, mean, if it if it literal if it might have literally been David Cap just being like, you know, tipping his hat to That's pretty way. lazy. No, I mean, really, I it, it really is. It really is to just kind of dis- – Yeah, I agree. Maybe in 1999 it didn't feel the way, but just kind of distill a character down to his race yeah. and say in some way that's an homage. That's really not. Yeah. But I don't know. He also know. comes out in like some kind of what, – what is he wearing when she goes in season? He's wearing like full blues, isn't he? No, no, no. At that's the at the cemetery. Oh, that I don't know what he's wearing. Wasn't it but... just like a cardigan? 
I don't know. I don't, I don't it remember. Seemed li- it seemed it a looks little like more cultural. Yeah, oh. some cultural but then elements. He's expl- now he's the one now who's explaining the rules of yes, the yes, ghost, sorry, yes. and they're so specific to this to his to Kevin Bacon's situation where he's like, look. He's opened a portal, and we don't know if it's ever going to be able to close, but that ghost wants something, and if she doesn't get it, she's going to start getting mad, and she's never going to leave. And again, I don't know, maybe there is this whole like telepathic thing with them, so he already knows kind of what's going on. It just felt very convenient. And he again, knows all of this information. Yeah. and then But then they, she doesn't really do anything with that information. She just goes back and is like, Kevin Bacon's digging a hole, and she's like... And then her brother dies, and he's like, I, I can't go to the funeral. You understand why I have to do this, right? And it's just so weird. It's yeah. like, I, your I, wife's brother died. Yeah. You're a bad guy. I did not like the wife. Well, they, I didn't think she was well-written, and I didn't particularly love the performance. That, I to, loved her in What About Bob, though. She was in What About Bob? She was the teenage daughter. Of course. Oh. To that specific moment, <laughs> that obviously wasn't for any character on screen. That was for the audience. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's some real lazy screenwriting, too. Yeah. And David Kapp, like, who we should talk about. Yeah, we need to do he that. He wrote his. Jurassic Park. He wrote Death Becomes Her. Death yeah. Becomes Her with his brother. Oh, I love Death Becomes Her. He's, he's written, like, this guy's an amazing kind of career. He's written yeah. some of, the, like, the greatest movies ever made. Directed Mission Impossible. So um, yeah, I mean, both in Jurassic Parks, For the Worlds. Yeah, he hasn't directed a lot. A though. lot of uncredited screenwriting as well. He wrote uh, Panic Room, which I think is, like, a really great, interesting movie. I do, too. Yeah. Um, and I think he writes a lot about um, he writes a lot about being trapped in your own home. Yeah, being kind of being being kind of like you know, it, like like de- dependent on technology. Yeah. You know, kind of this proto Black Mirror stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that this movie kind of I feel like is a little bit like. Kevin Bacon is trapped in his own body in this movie. He's trapped in a station in life. And I don't mean socioeconomically. I mean like as a perceived failure mm-hmm. and something he can't break out of. Well, um, Cap talked a little bit in an interview I read about how it's a lot of it's about a fear of getting old, a fear of dying, a fear of of like decay. Yeah, it's the teeth falling out. The teeth but, falling out, all that sort of stuff. But it's I'm, interesting. I'm more interested in specifically – not being able to trust your own brain. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that like that's the crazy thing to me is is where do these memories come from? Who is controlling me? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a part of my brain that I don't have access to, but has access to me? Right. And th- these are kind of like scary growing up, becoming demented type things that uh, that that I think Kep is working with. I want to run down the shit he's written. You should um, run, the, and then we should talk about the shit he's directed. Okay, let's talk. Well, all right, shit in two different ways. Yeah. All right. So, as far as I can tell, um, he wrote a couple of screenplays I never heard of. The first movie I've heard of that he's written that he wrote is Toy Soldiers. Which, yeah, like, Sean Astin, Keith yes. Coogan from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Yes. <laughs> That's a real like HBO yeah. movie that I've seen probably three hundred times. That movie, if you we recently watched the trailer on Schooled um, because we were I forget why for some sort of reference and um, doing a Toy Soldiers episode, of course. Of course, no, we're not doing a Toy Soldiers. <laughs> we are doing some movies that can't are do that. can't do that anymore. A little obscure. No, 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 no. no. Uh, but anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. I loved that movie. I had a crush on Sean Astin when I was a kid, and so I just loved all of his movies. Really? Yeah, it was from Goonies because I was. It was like it started sure, with Goonies sure, when I was okay. a I was a kid, and then and crescendoed through the Lord of the Rings. Crescendo? No, no, by then it was gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fifty First Dates. Mm. Um, then he's in. Then he wrote Death Becomes Her. Yeah. Oh, God, uh, listen to this movie. one. It's Death amazing. Becomes Her. Jurassic Jurassic Park. 
Carlito's Way, podcast favorite, The Paper. I love The Paper. You Have you ever seen The Paper? No. Rodney oh, movie. it's, it's so a good movie. good. Rodney Dangerfield? No, Is that no. what you just said? <laughs> Ron, Ron Howard? Oh, God, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> I hear what I want to hear, I guess. <laughs> Though I would I, I would ride for a Rodney Dangerfield movie <laughs> if it came up, but it's it's not a David Cat movie. So then he wrote, then, then things kind of got a little weird. Wrote The Shadow. Yeah. Uh, wrote- I mean, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible, yeah. which yeah. is not my favorite. Wrote Trigger Effect, Lost World, Snake Eyes. I, I do think they like things, things do kind of fall off a little Ooh. bit here, but um, Stir of Echoes, this movie. Panic Room. Then he wrote the first Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi one. Mm-hmm. Secret Window, which I think is like a bad movie. War of the Worlds, which some people think is amazing. I like War of the Worlds. I think I've only seen it once. And I, I keep mixing it up with World War Z, I think. But yeah. It's Tom Cruise versus Brad Pitt, yeah. right? Yeah. Little interview with a vampire. <laughs> Tom Cruise uh, versus Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. yeah, little, yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting here is, so he is like, the top guy in, in, yep. in the 2000s. He is getting the Spider-Man movie. He is getting the Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise, H.G. Wells movie. Um, he wrote Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the, of the Crystal Skull. When he goes and does his own thing, he just goes down that Ricky Gervais movie. I know he's not the best, but I think that movie is fantastic. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Oh, you should see it. Okay. It's a great ghost movie. He wrote Angels and Demons. He Then he wrote premium rush with pe- people like so he's basically he's done a lot of wrote stuff wrote the mummy mm-hmm. this year or, la- or two years ago the bad mummy yeah so this guy is the most prolific screenwriter of the last 20 years maybe so. i mean certainly he is i mean what the uh, the list of 10 screenwriters that get the big tentpole movies he's probably at the top of that list or at least one or two He's, you know, he's Spielberg's boy obviously he's done a mm-hmm. bunch of things with him and i'm sure he's done numerous uncredited screenwrite, you know, uh, doctoring or what have you on anything out on lots of other stuff. He's the guy making 300,000 a week for sure. So. Um, and you know, listen, I, I don't, he's done a lot of movies that I love, you know, death becomes her Jurassic park, Carlito's way, the paper. Uh, and then he just gets, he just gets very rich, you know, and he just starts <laughs> doing a lot of things that you do when you're a rich screenwriter, I guess the directing, I just want to walk through his direction, the movies he's directed. Uh, I really like the trigger effect. It was his first movie. Um, McLaughlin, Elizabeth Shue, Dermot Mulroney. It's yeah. about a, a power outage and yeah. everyone starts going crazy. Basically. It's a really good movie. Um, then he does stir of echoes and he does secret window, which is, I don't know, Johnny Depp in a room basically for two hours. It felt like I, I didn't, it's like, it's, it's writer's block. The movie. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, yeah writer's block, it. The movie. Yeah. It, it really is that. Then he does Ghost Town, which I have not seen. Premium Rush, where he, the 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 uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt bike medicine, and then he does Mordecai. So there's that. <laughs> uh, now he does have something that that he's apparently directing um, called You Should Have Left, uh, which I guess is uh, being filmed, maybe as we speak. Kevin Bacon, Amanda Seyfried. Can I read what it's about? Yeah, please. A screenwriter travels. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Travels to a remote house in the Alps. With his family, so he can write the sequel to a big hit film, but he begins to regret his decision after suffering from a severe case of writer's block. Oh, brother. Writer's block, the film. And guess who stars in it? You just said it. Kevin Bacon. And Amanda Seyfried. There is a sequel to Stir of Echoes. There was with Rob Lowe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I did a little bit of research on that. It's, it's a weird thing that they did with that, um, which I will read just because it's strange. Uh, Stir of Echoes, The Homecoming. Uh, was made in 2007, and it was a made-for-television supernatural horror film produced by Lionsgate, premiered on the Sci-Fi Channel, uh, but it was only titled originally titled The Dead Speak, and they 
turned it into a Sir oh, Echoes interesting. sequel. Yeah. Because I guess the only connection was the kid. Jake is sort of in it, I guess, in some capacity or another, which is a little weird. That child actor was amazing, though. Yeah, I thought he was great. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read the synopsis for Sir of Echoes. Um, Blue collar family man Tom Witzke, played by Kevin Bacon, scoffs at supernatural phenomena until he lets his wife's sister Lisa, played by Ileana Douglas, put him into a hypnotic trance. Upon waking, Tom realizes he has a psychic connection with his son, Jake. Uh, he also has an alarming, he's also having alarming hallucinations of a missing teenage neighbor played uh, named Samantha, played by Jennifer Morrison. Tom, convinced his visions will lead him to the girl, begins a desperate search that puts him into a life-threatening situation. Stir Echoes opened on September 10th, 1999, in third place behind Stigmata and The Sixth Sense. Like, the movie was never ever yeah. going to make it. Uh, it would go on to gross $21 million on a $12 million <laughs> budget, which, listen, I mean, profit. Yes. So there's that. Uh, Stir Echoes has 67% from critics, 70% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Ebert liked it. But it was a weird review. I don't know if you guys read it. Mm-mm. But he sort of – he basically says, Stir of Echoes is a supernatural thriller firmly rooted in a blue-collar Chicago neighborhood where everybody on the block knows one another, although not as well as they think. Kevin Bacon stars in one of his best performances as a telephone lineman named Tom Whiskey who plays in a band, wants to break out of the routine of his life, and succeeds all too successfully. He, he praises Kevin Bacon's performance basically throughout the entire review, and that's kind of his big thing. Um and he ends the review by talking about how much he loved this one shot, which is a great shot where he's on the telephone pole and the camera pulls back and you see all the like. I love that shot too. It's a great shot. Mm-hmm. But like that's how the ends of the review is like, <laughs> great shot. <I'm> like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. You really kind of phoned this one in. But do we have thoughts on Kevin Bacon? I mean, of course we do. But what are our thoughts on Kevin Bacon? I think he's a good actor. Yeah. I liked, you know, around this time. You know, he was doing movies, and it was a few years earlier, but he did Sleepers, and then he did Hollow Man. I I feel like he was really starting to come around to playing these unlikable characters, these really, really flawed characters, because I think before this he had done, was it um, Picture Perfect or... He co-starred, was that after this? So I know that he was, you know, he was kind of like that romantic lead guy for a while, the really likable guy. He did. Uh, You're right. Pitch Perfect was before this. Was it? Pitch Perfect. He did like the air up there. He did like these like kind of kind of bad leading man roles, mm-hmm. not interesting like studio yes. stuff. He's obviously he's had a really interesting career because he was like always sick. He was always like five, six, seven, eight guys down in a stacked cast. Yeah. Right. Few right? yeah. good men. Mm-hmm. JFK. Yep. Um, there, there are more flatliners. Flatliners. Apollo thirteen. Um, Apollo yeah, thirteen. I mean, and he's great in all of these movies. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's, and I do think he is a leading man. Like I, I just like, and this movie proves that you can mm-hmm. you can hang a movie on Kevin Bacon for yeah. sure. Um, and Hollow Man is another really Man. good yeah. example of of what he yeah. brings. I think he's amazing in this. Frankly. I think, uh, I yeah, do I do too. he was the only one who put any effort into doing a Chicago accent. It's true. None <laughs> of the other actors had a Chicago yeah, no accent. Even tried. No one tried. Yeah. He. Like you can tell, it felt like this movie took a lot of toll on him emotionally yes. and maybe even physically in some ways. I feel like there were so many shots that just looked like Kevin Bacon's entire face, every facial muscle was engaged and his mouth was open and he was gasping for air. I, I feel agree. like there were yeah. so many of those types of shots where he was well, he drowning in air. Really, uh, He pulled his back, That all the, the pitch, all the stuff when he's like chipping into the ground mm-hmm. in the basement. Uh, so yeah, you, which I thought to myself, honestly, as he was doing it, I was like, mm, should have somebody, you shouldn't be doing this yourself, yeah. man. I also thought that the ghost shouldn't have given him the clue dig. 
because she was in the wall. So I feel like it should have said Good call. Good call. basement or stones. I don't know. Something I little. Agree. Wasn't it on? Didn't he like open it up on a backswing? Yeah. He that was the worst part of the yeah, movie. Yeah. She was in the yeah. wall. She yeah. wasn't underground. She's yeah. just been. I mean, if she's given him clues, if she has the ability to give him clues, I'm in the wall is a pretty good clue. And that font right? up on the screen was very big. You could have like <laughs> yeah. gone from yeah. like a 72 to a 12 courier font. Yeah. He would have read it. Just give him yeah. a little bit more context because at this point she is, she's getting angry because she's not being yeah, she's found. Like, For fuck's yeah. sake, dude. Like I'm but in the wall. She's giving him a Sunday one? New yeah. York Times crossword puzzle hint. <laughs> 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 I'm very to like unfair. this movie less. So I, well, I want to. I want to make a a, ma- a more macro point. Mm-hmm. Really, it's a question. Okay. So there's this weird subgenre that this is a part of, of family men feeling a little ennui and deciding to do something fucking crazy at the expense of their family. Mm. And two movies that come to my mind. One is one of my favorite movies ever, Field of Dreams. Another is a movie that I was left very cold by, but is very similar to this movie and came after it, which is Take Shelter. Oh, the Michael Shannon movie? Yeah. Do you I remember see that? that one now. Doomsday. Yes. Yeah. Um, where he's basically being told Doomsday is coming and he mm-hmm. is trying to tell the whole town that Doomsday is coming, but he's mm-hmm. building this shelter at all times mm-hmm. throughout this movie. Um, I can't think of others, but I feel like they exist. Shining? Shining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, is there an example? Of any of these kind of movies, that is not a middle-aged white guy doing it. Because it would be, to me, like the same thing, the same thing filtered. And not even, it's really more of a woman's perspective, of a mother's perspective, would be really interesting. Yeah. I would be interested to see what that looks like. But it's it's such a kind of despicable, detestable thing to do. It doesn't matter even. But somehow men get away with it. I think that I think if it was if I think if it was a mother, I think wrongly in terms of the gender roles and bad mom. We, the movie would be called Bad Mom. Would be like, yeah, no, you, this mom can't do this. It would yeah. be Kramer versus Kramer, right? Well, right. Yeah, yeah. It would. That's like mm-hmm. the closest I could think of. And yeah. yes, it would be. You'd be very sympathetic towards the father. But I would like to see it in such a way where you know we don't we have to stay with us and often that whole movie. We don't even go with Meryl Streep. No, I'd like to see it in such her. a way where we actually go with that character. I agree with you. I mean, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that this movie is immediately a little bit more interesting if it is a gender swap, you know, if it is sort of the mom who's losing it, you know what I mean? I, I think that it Has be, that never happened? I can't think of one off the top of my head, but. Maybe Bird Box. Is that what Bird Box is about? No. 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 <laughs> is that what Bird Box is about? Though maybe um, the new Rashida Jones show that's being developed right now, which was in response to on Kevin Can Wait about how uh, Aaron Hayes' character was just kind yeah, of killed, killed off. off. And so now they're making the show Kevin Can Go Fuck Himself. That's amazing. Which is about the, per- it's from the perspective of, it's sort of like a hybrid show where it's like part single cam, part multi-cam. Wait, is Aaron Hayes in it? I hope so. I hope oh, she will be in it. They're developing amazing. it right now, but it's about like this sort of, you know, these like stereotypical sitcom wives and how they're always sort of used as props to kind of help just elevate their husbands. And and the guys are always so undeserving of them. Like yeah. if you go back and watch episodes, I recently watched an episode of um, Home, Im- not Home Improvement, of, yes, of Home Improvement, where Tim, Tim's, so Jill's, uh, 
Tim's brother is in town with his super hot wife and Tim is uncomfortable around her because he finds her so attractive. And then he like sees her naked in the shower and then makes her swear not to say anything. And after it all comes out, Jill's whole thing is just, oh, Tim. And it's all about like, we feel sorry for him because he can't control himself around this gorgeous woman. And we just really should feel sorry for him because (laughs) because he was put in this situation, you know, and it's just so tough for him. Anyway, I do think that- So, I mean, thank God. But I mean, my thing is, it's 2019, and I think it's I think it's incredible that there are still film films, TV shows like that on right now. I mean, that that Man with a Plan and Kevin Can Wait, and I don't know. I think it's it it still fulfills a need. Mm -hmm. There are still people, and that is very disheartening. Yeah. (laughs) That being said, I I all right. So, but. That all right? That all that's all true and that's all terrible. Yeah, and I completely agree. But that's not for us. <laughs> not to be a dick. Yeah, that's yeah, that. Yeah. That is that is just like that's. It's aimed at a different. It's, a, a it's different just audience. that that's that's a ham and sandwich, I don't mean to, right? So yeah. like, w- I don't mean to deride it either. Yeah, no, and of course, don't get me wrong. Like I've written on ham sandwiches, but it's a ham sandwich. What <laughs> what we're trying to do with this movie and movies like that take shelter for sure. Uh, Field of Dreams, all of them. Field of Dreams was nominated for Best Picture. Like, was it? It was. Check it out. I believe you. Um, Those movies are aimed at the highest levels, right? Mm -hmm. Those those movies are attempting to be something enlightened, and that's kind of what I'm what what I'm grappling with right now is this idea of I've seen this story a lot. I've seen this story of of it all filtered through the male perspective of. my ennui, my disappointment with myself, my personal failings, Breaking Bad's a perfect example, are, are worthy and deserving of a television show, even if that, even if it's at the expense of my family. Now, Breaking Bad does it incredibly well mm-hmm. because Breaking Bad shows the, you know, disastrous effects it has on everybody around him. Well, that's a car crash in slow motion. Which is wonderful, yeah. which is what it should be. But how is it possible that we can't name one show like this from a female perspective? Or I mean, from a non-white perspective, I would. I guess the closest thing, or the thing that comes to mind, and forgive me because it is also drugs, but weeds sort of comes to mind mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, I think that seeing Mary Louise Parker's character kind of slowly unravel over the course of many seasons was sort of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that seemed less labor of love and more means to an end. Possibly. But- I mean, I, I, I'm not a. I don't. I've only watched a handful of Orange Is the New Black. Um, but those feel like characters that had similar sort of downturns, if you will. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think that's a really good example. So, thanks. I think Piper on, I hate her. <laughs> I do. I, I I truly hate her. I think she's right. like a truly terrible character. Right. And wonderful character. Truly terrible mm-hmm. person, hum, human yeah, being. Yeah. And uh, I do think she is incredibly selfish. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think I. I think we're seeing more of it mm-hmm. in a good way. I think we're. We're seeing definitely characters. seeing more real flawed yes. characters who are just yeah real flawed women yes. like big little lies is a good example say, yeah. you know sharp objects is another example sharp objects sharp yeah. objects is a great example um even glow a little bit to some extent with like betty gilpin's character I'm where she's trying you know she's yeah, trying yeah. to be a good mom and yeah. and you know i mean the americans i think that real. i think you know i think elizabeth is a flawed character to say the least it's a diff- that's a different thing because she's always working but yeah i do think the betty gilpin thing is a, is kind of this a little bit a little bit yeah 
A little bit. I mean, she's not as shitty as Kevin Bacon in this movie. Kevin Bacon, you know, it's interesting. There is a Peter Pan syndrome at play here of a guy who just doesn't really want to grow up. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you or give up. Give up on being great. On the dream, yeah. He's yeah. the scene where they're at like a block party and he's walking around shoveling peanuts in his mouth being like, what do you guys know about this 16-year-old girl, Samantha, the girl that disappeared? What do you guys know about her? What do you guys know? <laughs> I'm like, the fact that the police were not knocking on his door, it's yeah. so unsettling to watch him become obsessed with this. Yeah. He's just, he's behaving so strangely. He's like, he's like, she was sitting right here, right here next to me on the couch. So I got to sit here because she was sitting here on the couch. And then when the son is talking about her and he's getting in his face and he's clapping and the mom's like, no, 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 like you're stop it. You're pushing him. And he's like, no, what did you see? What did you see? Where was she? Where was she? He's so manic and just selfish and crazy. And it's just, he was so, I would just, I kept like yelling at my TV. I was like, get out of your kid's face. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's five. Like, is that how old he is? Would you say the kid's five? Maybe. Yeah, five. five. Okay. I'm like, do you know? Yeah, I know. That guy's five. You get it. Oh, oh, do I get it? Keep going. (laughs) I I agree that Kevin Bacon's character is is problematic or at least sort of frustrating at times. But I also kind of respect it in a weird way. I I guess my point is we just don't see that many unlikable characters. Mm -hmm. And likability as writers, we all know that like it's paramount. Oh my God, the Mick. Sorry. Sure. When we talk about go. like there unlikable sure. characters. Yeah, yes. sorry, the Mick. She or, was or just Sunny. Sunny in general, <laughs> sure. yes. My mind went to Sunny and I was like, but oh yeah. my God, Caitlin Olson as the Mick. But do you know yeah. that likability thing that we as writers have to contend with on a daily basis? And that David Kep went out of his way to make an unlikable protagonist. Mm-hmm. Now, admittedly, it is a middle-aged white guy, and that's shitty it is i'm not but convinced though you're not convinced that he went out of his way to make an unlikable no. character? yeah i don't know no. that that right. okay I, i'm I, I feel like well I even if like... he didn't go out of his way he did do it sure. and i guess my, my i guess my point is that we've watched 65 movies up until this point and i'm not sure i've seen this total shade yet but this is all right so that's all this is what i'm getting at this is kind of the the, the grander thesis mm-hmm. david cat middle-aged White guy. White guy yeah. uh, and I don't mean to distill it down to that, but just kind of go with me. David Kett, middle-aged white guy, middle stages of his career, directing, looks at his friend Steven Spielberg and his friend Ron Howard and all these guys directing these massive movies. Feels a little bit like, you know, we all do. We've all worked on shows and we've all had nice careers and we all look at other writers and go, oh, you know. Wish I could have that. Wish I could have that. Yeah. I think he – I think – he looks at that. I think he's put it into this char- this character. Sure. I think he's. I think he feels like, yeah, it's great that I'm writing that I wrote Jurassic Park or whatever. But like, it's all behind me. What's the next thing? How am I going to stop myself from not from from not kind of falling off like all my or like some of my friends have? Um, and he put it all into this character. And whether or not, I'm sure David Cap doesn't even consider likability. To be honest, I'm sure he doesn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. But whether or not he he intended for this character to be likable or not, or didn't consider it. Um, he definitely intended for the character to be relatable. And it is relatable to me, a middle-aged white guy writer to some extent. Middle-aged white guy write, writer slash father. Mm-hmm. I did relate to a lot of this character. I just feel like, like we've said so many times, there's so much for me. There's so ma- There are so many th- 
many things that I can look to that represent my experience on screen. And the problem is when that's it, right? There's nothing wrong with stereo echoes in and of itself. The problem is when 95% of movies like this have the same way in and this, and are operating mm-hmm. or, or, or grappling with the same themes. And that's, so it's not a stereo echoes problem. It's a Hollywood problem, but I agree with and that. We haven't gotten that much better. I, I, I totally agree with that. I will say though, that, my biggest beef, I did touch on it a little bit earlier, but is the lack of growth. The guy doesn't really mm-hmm. have an arc. Now, it, as you were talking, Kenny, I was thinking about another David Kep character, uh, Tom Cruise's character in War of the Worlds, who, again, blue-collar guy, works in construction. Uh, never learned to throw a baseball. Never learned to throw a baseball. <laughs> um, and, you know, is single. He's a bachelor. Had two kids with, from a previous marriage. Isn't a very, he's kind of a deadbeat dad. And the movie is about him becoming a better parent. That in the, the, mm-hmm. the, the craziness of that situation, that at the end of it, he's willing to do whatever it takes to protect his kids. Whereas at the beginning of the movie, you get the impression that he, I wouldn't say he'd hang his kids out to dry, but he is the most important thing mm-hmm. to himself. And by the end of it, he's not. This movie does not have that. At no point do you get the impression that, as we said, his kids left alone many times mm-hmm. and neglected. You don't get the impression that he's learned anything about parenthood throughout the course right. of this film. Right. That's a problem for me. I'd be interested to see a how I'd be interested to see how the character was portrayed in the book, and if and if there were you know, and if it was very clear that he was meant to be unlikable, sure. like if that was just you know whatever. I don't know. You know, set up there, but also. You know, he's this guy, he has a very ordinary life. When he finds that he now has this ability to connect with his son in a whole new way, like that's a thing that he could, like you could have, he could have gotten growth from that. If he took advantage of that, where he's now, you know, able to connect with his son and communicate with his son in a new way, if that was set up as a problem, and then that's kind of the growth at the end is that he's now closer to his son and in turn has also become closer to his wife, they've become a closer family, but it just doesn't exist. Like, he does now all of a sudden have this ability, but instead of trying to use it to grow with his son, he just uses his son as, as basically a a, as a, yeah, yeah, as like his handyman to yeah. try to, you know, and he's like, give me the information I need. I need. And Almost like when you're a showrunner and you have this incredible writer on your show and then you take their name off everything and put your name on it. Yeah. Like he's, his son is more talented yeah. in mm. this respect than he is. Yeah. And he yeah. needs what his son can give him, um, but he doesn't really give him the credit. And, and by that, I mean, he he uses it all to heal himself, and he doesn't heal his son. Now, I do think there is a pretty clear case to be made that this was all intended by the ending, mm-hmm. by the by his son not being healed at the end, and that mm-hmm. being our last kind of image slash moment. It's interesting. There is a good case to be made that that that, that he, it really is the opposite of the War of the Worlds thing, mm-hmm. where yeah, it's what you're saying, Carrie. Like yeah, this should have been a, a moment where. He figured this out with but his son, didn't. but he didn't. Maybe I turned again. I've been turning yeah, around. This maybe, movie. maybe I've. I don't know. But now I'm. See, but I have to say that now, if I look at it through that lens, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I kind of respect it more if it's doing that. Like I'm not convinced right. it is. Do you yeah. feel like it did? Like that's like that, I, that's the 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 that's, trial of this movie. But that's the like I I think that if they were trying to do that they didn't necessarily stick the landing. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't mm-hmm. plant a flag and say, like, this is a film about a guy who doesn't learn anything. Right. And his kid is going to be punished because of that for the rest of his life right. or whatever it is. And, and if that was what they wanted to say, then that would have been cool because it would have been the flip side of the War yeah, of the World's coin. It's not like you're doing a thing where the murder is solved. Yeah. Great. Everybody. And then instead of them packing up a moving van and leaving, if you would have seen... A, a moving van being packed up, a car driving away, you just reveal it's the mother and the son and they've left Kevin Bacon behind. That's cool. You know, then like yeah. that's the sort of wrap up. But instead they're like, everything's fine, except they don't show us that everything's fine between Kevin Bacon and his family. There's no resolution there. It's just, oh, the ghost has been freed. The crime has been solved. That's, exactly. Yeah. The crime has been solved. Yeah. And then they get into their moving van and they drive away. And then this sort of like, you know, little Tacked tag on. button yeah. at the end, which is like, oh, dun, 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 things aren't really okay. But yeah. it's like, well, yeah, but you things weren't really okay a second ago just because the ghost walks away at the end. There's still, you have not solved the problems of this family. That's yeah. that's that's how I feel. I feel at, I, I feel right now at this moment, it may change again over the course of the podcast. I feel like that was all in there now. I feel like <laughs> it, what I thought was just a dun, dun, dun tag was almost like a comeback for Stir of Echoes 2 kind of thing, mm-hmm. was actually the entire plot in Microcosm, which is actually he didn't solve the real problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're happy together. Like I don't think And they're, they're just going, moving away and their problem's gonna follow them. I think I think that's what they're saying. Right? Yeah. Like I yeah, think that's sure. I think that's what, what that whole thing is at the end. Um and yeah, it's become a very sad movie to me right now. Yeah, I was literally just thinking that this movie is actually really sad. Can we now. talk about the facts? The facts for a second. <laughs> sure. So Maggie, these are the things in movies. The, these are the things I'm drawn to, or like the weird things. So Maggie gets a fax from her brother saying that her grandmother's sick in the hospital. She gets a fax <laughs> from her brother yeah. Yeah. saying their grandmother's in the hospital. A handwritten letter yeah. via facts <laughs> kind of amazing that's so weird but then he calls her on the phone yeah. to He's say like, she's you, dead my facts? it's so weird to me that was so strange i was like a in 99 did households have fax machines okay maybe maybe but not this guy's household no. what, i mean it was, was just faxes from the telephone company yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe he got some sort do? of special hookup. She's a nurse. She's a nurse. Because right. she comes home and scrubs one day. I think she's a nurse. Maybe a doctor, but I think she's a nurse. She, Yeah, she's. I think she's a nurse because they're going it's with the a, whole. It's an yeah. amazingly weird. I, th- I just thought it was so strange. But then, now that we're unraveling all the stuff about bad families, does she also come from a family that is really bad at communicating? It's, I mean, again, it's all like it's literally, bad. literally bad at communicating like using the wrong medium to communicate because he's like, yeah. Oh, I, I can't even, ha- I can't tell you in person, but I can't have you on the phone. I just need to, do- it's like the equivalent of sending a text message and then like turning off your phone. It does feel a little bit like this movie 
and this, I don't know, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush on Kep's entire career, but it does feel like this film is a little too focused on plot and maybe not focused enough on character. It just needed a little bit more. It's a movie that's an hour 45. It's a pretty short movie. Mm -hmm. I think a little bit more on the character side of things would have gone really far. Yeah. Something as similar as she doesn't talk to her brother. Yeah. To your point. Or hitting it harder at the end that this family is broken and it's never going to get put back together again. Well, I I think another thing Carrie hit on earlier was the idea of uh, Neil, who's the cop. Yeah. His speech about daddy. About how if one person was reading the Tell daddy to come see me. Tell daddy to come see me. (laughs) If one person was reading the script closely or on set that day who had the authority to say, let's try an alt. Um, that would have happened and should have happened. And this conversation makes me think that this movie is very close to some really profound shit. And they needed another pass, pass shot in the editing room. Like just, just one more, two more, just a little longer. Was there any testing? Something. Well, you know, what's interesting. And I, I, I texted this to you, um, I don't know, about a week or so ago, or maybe it was before the holidays, but that the Writers Guild of America denied Andrew Kevin Walker a screenplay credit for his script doctoring work. Oh, boy. So he receives a special thanks in the end credits. Maybe someday we'll get to talk to him about this. But I think that uh, that's interesting to me because the the darkness of this movie and the things we're talking about here, about a family that's broken, a guy that doesn't learn anything, all that that screams Andrew Kevin Walker to me. I wonder, it does not scream David Kep. What ha- what else has he done, Andrew? Uh, seven, oh. um, Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. Eight Millimeter, oh. uh, Fight Club. Oh, oh, yeah. okay, sure. <laughs> so that stuff to me makes me wonder whether or not it's Kep walking it back. If mm-hmm. it's that he doesn't really want to go there. So what we're left with is a somewhat wishy-washy right. kind of That's mix of – a guy who's like, no, you should go there. Like this family's fucked and this guy's broken. And like, he, there's no unringing this bell mm-hmm. and kept being like, yeah, but like it can maybe be okay. Right. So I, I wonder, again, all speculation, but it does feel like Kep's talked about his influences being Polanski's repulsion and Rosemary's baby. He's talked about Cronenberg's dead zone. Those all make sense, you know, from a mm-hmm. tonal perspective, but I look at Kep's filmography and I look at the stuff that he's done and it's like he wants to dip his toe into slightly dark territory, but he doesn't really want to go there. Mm. So I, again, I'm just speculating, but I just wonder whether or not we're all smelling a little bit of Andrew Kevin Walker's influence mm-hmm. and and Kep not maybe fully committing it's to funny. it. Interesting. The, the Andrew Kevin Walker stuff in the wrong hands, i.e. anyone other than Fincher, yeah. is to me like a, a like a like a bad look. Right, like eight millimeter? I think, you know, I think this is a better movie than Eight Millimeter. Like I like this, this is a better movie. Than I eight like millimeter. this way more than Eight Millimeter. I think Eight Millimeter is like a. I think when Eight Jim Millimeter turned me around a little bit. When Eight Millimeter is clicking, when it's in the pocket, I like it more than this. But this movie is far more consistent. This is a better movie. Okay, does I that agree. make sense? Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. But um, but I do think that Andrew Kevin Walker on the right hands is transcendent. Right. So, I just don't know that David Kep. Second movie, he's as at this point in his career, he's got a lot of really solid credits behind him. He's got the wind at his back. He's feeling like I just don't know how much he's going to give credence to somebody else. Maybe that, I don't know. That is something else I love about this year, though. It's like we really do have like a film from 
everyone, almost every yeah. interesting Hollywood player yeah. from like eighty to today. Yeah. So I, and I think he's. You can't tell the story of Hollywood in the last twenty years without David Cap. No, I mean he's no. yes, no, absolutely. And and again, I'm not deriding him in any way. I actually am a very big fan of David Cap's work, um, more so as a screenwriter than as a director. But I still think that he's no one's doing what he's doing at the level that he's doing it at, which you've got to hand, you know, you've got to hand it to him. Um, so there's an interesting interview with, um, with Kep and Bacon in entertainment weekly about the sixth sense and about how it kind of fucked it, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. Yeah. He talks a little bit, Kep talks about how I'll quote him here. He says it completely screwed us. We finished shooting. We got a hold of the sixth sense script. We went to the studio and said, Hey, there's this movie that has a similar kid who's a psychic. We should probably get ahead of it. We should come out in April. They said, we don't think the movie's going to be that great, whatever. Uh, and so like, you can't even pronounce the guy's name who wrote it. Nobody's yeah, like, going to no see No one's going to see this movie. <laughs> who cares about Bruce Willis? Oh, oh, we, um, oh, you're talking about Shyamalan. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I was. Oh, we're saying Kep, right? Right? Yes. Okay. Phew. Yeah. Um, Kevin Bacon talks a little bit. He said, overshadowed is 100% an understatement. Listen, The Sixth Sense came out. It was it would have been a hit regardless of when Stir of Echoes came out. The Sixth Sense is a fantastic movie. There's nothing that could have happened that would have gotten in its way. It was a phenomenon nice. every step of the way. And he obviously, is, yeah. you know, he gets it. But then he says, I don't have too much of a rearview mirror when it comes to all that stuff. But Stir of Echoes is way up there in terms of responses they get from people of movies of mine they like. The problem is it isn't a good title. And I know that people would have a hard time remembering it. They come up to me. They don't know. We, I lobbied for a title change. He wanted to call it Dig. Yeah. <laughs> no. Again, I mean, no. she was in the wall. <laughs> you didn't have to dig. Yeah. So that's why shouldn't have been called Dig. dig. I would have thought that was a movie about archaeologists. Sure. I would yeah. have been like, oh, the guy that wrote Jurassic Park? This is a movie about yeah, archaeologists. archaeologists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dig. Yeah. Stir of Echoes dig, dig, is oh, a God. slightly pretentious title, though. Stir of Echoes? Yeah, I guess. What would you it's guys call it? It's apropos of nothing. That's it doesn't what, I mean, mean yeah. anything. You're just like, what I would call it? Okay. Um, Ghost Dad? Man. <laughs> Hypnosis Man? Ghost Dad? Pretty Hypnotized. sure that one's already <laughs> Hypnotized. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know what I would have called it, but I. I, I mean, listen. It was a book. You're not gonna. You know, yeah. You're not right. Name it after also, the book. I don't really love its. This is again not that fair. <laughs> I don't really love its origins. The origin seems to be, at least from my limited research, mm-hmm. is David Kep is like uh, Richard Matheson has written some books that have been turned into some pretty successful movies. Yeah. Uh, I Am Legend is not one of them. It, it became Omega Man. Before mm-hmm. I'm a legend existed, but Omega Man was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have others. What Trees May Come was one of them. <gasps> really? Ooh. Yeah. I, I will tell you movie. that. Oh, that's right. I it's saw not, that on the list, and I was. Oh, it's, it's not 98. 98. Um, that movie. The first time I saw it, I was maybe 16, 17, and the, I've never cried more throughout a movie than I did at What Dreams May Come. It was like five really? minutes in, something sad happened. I started crying. Yeah. And then as soon as I would start to compose myself, something else sad would happen. <laughs> I'd start crying. And it was that way till the end of the movie. I've never seen a movie too. that's made me cry as much as What Dreams May Come. I can't watch it. So this, I cannot watch it. It's a really sad movie. It's I was so like that sad. It's a... beautifully shot. It's such yeah. a beautiful... I mean, well, the yeah. world that they create is so See, beautiful, it's so, but gonna, it's... I'm going to bring it up again, and I apologize. The Lovely Bones mm-hmm. and what... Just in terms of that whole heaven and what you were mentioning about like rounding off stories and looking for justice and your killers and all that sort of stuff, 
What Dreams May Come, which is a beautiful movie to look at. Mm-hmm. And then The Lovely Bones, which attempts to do what, what What Dreams May Come and yet fails at it. Like I remember when The Lovely Bones was announced that Peter Jackson was doing that after after King Kong. And as a very big fan of Heavenly Creatures, which is, again, sort of part and parcel of what we're talking about here, I was like, oh, great. He's going to do like a small movie about the afterlife and – it just turned into this bloated Mark Wahlberg vehicle. And Easy. Just kidding. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just not the yeah. biggest. I'm just not the biggest Mark Wahlberg fan. Um, but all that being said, I don't. I don't. There's some of his movies I love. But the Departed. Um, he hates The Departed. I, I love The Departed. This. You should come. I oh my god! Actually, truly, think Mark Wahlberg is incredible in that total hunk of junk. <laughs> But, <laughs> but I want to bring Harry back on for our Departed uh, episode, so we we'll can. Say, I don't want to. I want to see someone go toe to toe with Kenny on. Uh, I'm not going to fight anybody at Departed, but I do think that um, <laughs> I do think that I can't fight about it. It's 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 like I spent my whole life fighting Kenny, about it. When did Rockstar come out? <sighs> that was there. that was around Boogie Nights. That's like nine, no, a little later, but. Mark, I was Wal- just wondering if you guys had covered it. Uh, if it was an idea. No, when, but I'm curious. Uh, well, he's in Three Kings this year. Okay. He's in Three Kings, so, which is a great movie. He's in Boogie Nights, which is a great movie. He's great in I Heart Hockey. Man. Oh, I don't love I don't, that movie. I don't hate Mark Wahlberg unilaterally. I just, generally speaking, don't really like him. Mark Wahlberg, not to get totally off topic, when used well by these, yes. these filmmakers we're talking about, we're talking about David O. Russell, we're talking about Paul Thomas Anderson, it's amazing. Yeah. Ian Scorsese, too. Yes. Um, but he is so, he's so willing to like, just take the paycheck from anybody and some from people who literally don't care what he does. Like, I don't yeah. think Michael Bay really cares what he does in Transformers for. And he's not good, obviously, but I actually, I, I, I think what he does, what he does, he does it really, really well. I heard to answer your earlier question, Rockstar came out on September 4th, 2001. Oh, and to get back to the, to get back to the Richard Matheson thing, <laughs> just, he also wrote, yeah. he also wrote the short story that Duel was based on. Yes, yes, he yes, yes. Wrote, yes. Uh, Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, the Twilight Zone mm-hmm. episode that was parodied in The Simpsons with the mm-hmm. like the Gremlin on the wing the and Donald Lithgow. Sutherland. Lithgow, oh, yeah, no, oh. you're right, John Lithgow. Yeah. Famously, like I'm pretty sure someone died. Yes, during the, during the making of that movie. Yeah, Vic like, yeah. Morrow and two kids. Yeah, it was during. Yeah, three people died. Actually, three people died. Yeah. Um. So that's Richard Matheson's fault. And he, and so I think it seems like David Kemp was like. This guy is like a Stephen King kind of guy. I should yeah. mind his stuff. He mm-hmm. bought a copy of Stir of Echoes at a used bookstore and maybe probably read it once and was like, I think I could turn this into a movie mm-hmm. and did. Yeah. And that seems a little cynical and a little tail wagging the dog. Um, and I would do it, but I'm not David Kep. So <laughs> it seems like he could do better than just kind of say, uh, what has this prolific writer done yeah. that I can option myself and make a movie? I just, I mean, and and I don't want to belabor the point, but I do feel like David Kep's directing filmography is somewhat uninspired. Mm-hmm. I don't feel as though the things that he's done as a director are particularly exciting or interest. Like I don't the way I don't, that the stuff he's written as, is as, exactly mm-hmm. as opposed to the stuff that he's been given the power to write. I, I just think that as a director, he's chosen projects that I don't quite get. Maybe I that's the better way. I wonder why that is. I don't. I, I mean, I don't know. But it's he's an interesting guy. He's got. He's obviously very powerful and very interesting, and has lots of uh, um, 
clout to be able to make what he wants to make. I think it's interesting that he's made the choices that he's made. I don't know why you make Mordecai. I don't know why you make that movie. (laughs) Uh, One thing I'll say, like in in terms of his directing of the movie and the, the aesthetic of it, um, toward the end when he really, when he finds Samantha's body and he really starts getting tapped into and he sort of sees everything that happens when she appears in the doorway, that very stuttery mm-hmm. sort of way. I thought that was shot really well. That was oh, I loved all that re- like all that stuff looked really cool. The one thing I remember, um, again, I hadn't seen this movie in many, many years. The two things I remembered were in the trailer when he leaned forward and goes, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> but I also <laughs> always, in the, most Kevin, Bacon in the most Kevin Bacon way, I also remembered the hand <laughs> slamming down on the wood floor yes, and, and the, the nail breaking. Yeah, that was the other oh, thing I remembered. Oh, yeah. And they show it twice. Yeah. But the and first the tooth. T- and the tooth going flying. I, I but, but, but that the specifically with the nail disgusting. breaking, I remembered the sound of it, the way that it looked. I didn't even know what it was. Um, I don't know if it was a finger, no, like it was the nail, right? Um, oh, I'd know. I'd rather a finger. It was. I mean, to your point, I thought that whole the, the whole rape sequence is awful. Mm-hmm. Very well executed mm-hmm. in terms of the way that it's filmed, the way that it it's very visceral and terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I again, it's you know the subject matter is awful, but I liked. There's a, there's a distinct change in the way it's filmed, not just in terms of the POV stuff, but. Mm-hmm. There's a gunmetal blue quality to mm-hmm. it. It gets grainy. It's very icy. It's very and, icy. Mm-hmm. It's just, all of it just feels like you feel chilled mm-hmm. just being a part of it. I mean, they're in the snow at the beginning, but still, like, there's that whole, that stuff is all executed very well. I think the movie's very well shot in general. Mm-hmm. I think the hypnotism is done really well. Mm-hmm. I think it's got a great look to it. It's That rave sequence is yeah. so weird because, like, they 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 go about it like serial rapists. They don't go about it like high school date rapists, yeah. right? Like Veronica's rapist, for yeah. instance, of Veronica Mars. Yeah. Um, it was opportunistic. Yeah. It was predatory. I think that maybe the implication is that this is not the first time. I definitely you got that impression. That, yeah. I don't know if I don't know. If you yeah, know. because again, he was outside beckoning her to come in, yeah. and they clearly had motives for that i mean it's like we're gonna go raping today yeah but but the whole but they also um it it also seems singular in that they were nervous about this one particular time when i think either it was their first time they would have done it a lot more they've definitely assaulted other women in that way i think was it i I think they're women all around town that's what i'm saying i think they're i think they're women all around town who could be like the those this was probably this was their first probably murder. This was the first time it, they, totally. they murdered somebody. Well, it seemed it did seem accidental. The murder part of it seemed accidental. The assault obviously was not right. They were trying to keep her quiet, right. and yeah, it, and it did feel to your point. And again, I don't know if this is. Uh, we shouldn't say accidental. We should say unplanned. Sure. Yes. Because yes. they, de- yeah. Yes. So I do think that. Uh, it does feel, to your point, like they've done this before, the way the whole scene plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the murder, obviously, and the death does not. I thought the shot that pulls and pulls and pulls away mm-hmm. as she's dying, mm-hmm. I thought was very effective. And then it transposing that on top of him in the corner of the mm-hmm. basement, like – there's some really good imagery in this movie. I did think the boys were a little too calm yes. in that. Like he was like, 
oh man, what happened? He's like, I don't know. What should we do now? And I was like, I feel like their performances, they should have been a little bit more panicked. Like the sort of, oh God, oh my God, what are we, shut up, dude, shut up. You know what I mean? Like for kids who have probably killed someone for the very first time, I did think that they were, and again, maybe they did have to remain in that, Mm -hmm. you know, they had a small area with Mm -hmm. which to keep their bodies in. But um, yeah, I I had a bit of a problem with the device. Um, Like I've, I, I'm certainly not one of the – I'm certainly not a person who thinks you can't use rape as a device in a movie. That's not what I'm getting at. Yeah. I think if you do, you have to be really smart about it. Mm-hmm. You have to be really sensitive about it. And this girl is kind of nobody to no one. I mean her sister is babysitting earlier, but – and that's – we do get a glimpse of the way her death affected her family. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of hard for me to, to watch a character get raped yeah. and not also have to feel – like those repercussions mm-hmm. kind of rippling out. She's a for, victim is not acknowledged. That's what I'm saying. At all. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm saying. And like it would, you know, the the maybe the the more lazy hack way to do this might be the better way to have her actually be connected to Kevin Bacon one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems like that ha- that seems like that's maybe first drafty, maybe that's why they didn't do it, but it feels like what's the point? Of putting that in there, except to have some horrific crime at the center center of this. Yeah, the movie does not treat women well at all. If you look at all the female no. characters, there's that one blonde woman who's always just smoking a cigarette and yelling at her husband for like looking yeah, at Kevin women's Dunn's, tits. Yeah, you know, Dunn's. like the women are all Ileana Douglas is like, you know, interesting, but yeah, she's a very like flighty mm. kind of, you know, oh, I'm high. Oh, I don't know what I did. Like this irresponsible much, whatever yeah. woman who he makes fun of at the beginning. And yeah, the victim of this crime and her family. They they're all treated again just like as props to service Kevin Bacon's story because and and not only is it she's a teenage girl but she's a teenage girl with some sort of mental deficiency as that one guy says in that one scene which you don't three sense. times says the word it's retard awful, awful. the first time nobody says anything finally I think Kevin ba- or no Kevin not Kevin Bacon, Frank is like Kevin. uh yeah guy don't say that but yeah. he does say, that's like, another aspect weirdly that 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 was like kind of reassuring in this movie of all things like we frankly we just did Dudley do right they use the word retard mm-hmm. um, yeah. and it's a joke I yeah. love Dudley do right by the way <laughs> but uh, they in this movie like, at least someone story. checks him sure you know yeah. you don't see that a lot sure. with, with it's these true. words you know it's true but, there's mm-hmm. yeah but, but he, even when you look at the, is, he's one of the worst characters when you movie. look at even the, the, the Samantha as a ghost right it's she's even she's this like annoying thing that they're like, if you don't do what she says, she's going to get angry and angry and she's not going to leave. And so now she's this sort of like entitled, you know, yeah. ghost who's like, I need you to solve my crime, even though you had nothing to do with it. It's just the treatment of women is awful. In this yeah, it's it's, it's this, not good. You, it's, guys, you guys know the, the, the fridging, the notion mm-hmm. of fridging. Mm-hmm. Would we consider this like a fridged woman? You're speaking of Samantha? It's or, usually a girlfriend, right? Yeah. The what do you is, mean by fridging? All right. So there's this, there's this, trope mm-hmm. where and i like i kind of asked hoping you guys know better than me better, better than i did but basically the idea is like it comes from some comic book main character comes home to find his girlfriend dead in and put in a fridge right and then he like has to avenge her death something like that but she's not given any i'm trying to look up where she's not given from. any internal life she's not given any there's no repercussions from this outside of that she's just a character who exists to be killed for our main 
mm-hmm. protagonist yes, exactly. mm-hmm. to avenge that death or solve that murder or something along those mm-hmm. lines. Mm-hmm. But usually it's more connected. It's a to, device to male, move male character's story arc forward rather than a fully developed character in her own right. Right. So That's but, Samantha. You yeah. would consider this kind of a fridge, this a, feels a like fridge yeah. character. Yeah. 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 It comes from, I guess, uh, it refers to an incident in Green Lantern number 54 in 1994. Oh, of course. <laughs> in which uh, the title hero comes home to his apartment to find his girlfriend has been killed by the villain and stuffed in a refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. We we never get to know Samantha. We just know she was a teenage girl, and yeah, she serves. She's a, she's a had lot, some sort of design. mental deficiency. Her mother, her sister, is seen as a crazy person. Who, when Ke- Kevin Bacon again, this is sort of like when we start playing around with the rules of like what are his abilities. All of a sudden, gets this sense that she's stolen his son, and now this girl is suddenly like bad for taking yeah, his son. Was, yeah, when all she, when she's like, no, but he's telling me that my sister, who's been missing for six months, that he has seen her. It's just all very like. There's a lot of convoluted plotting in this movie mm-hmm. too. I found that whole portion of it, and we should we're going to dance through the plot since we've kind of covered most of it. But I do sort of wanted to talk about that particular incident where. Well, let, do you want to just yeah, let's walk through. Yeah, it. Sure. Right. But the movie opens uh, with Tom uh, and his son Jake taking a bath. Clearly, the kid's talking to dead people basically right from the jump. Like I, I was just thankful, literally from the jump, literally. Yeah. So we it start opens. with him yeah. with him to camera. But then he's talking to, like, breaking the fourth wall. He's basically yeah. talking to so us. Say, yeah, 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 to yeah. camera. I don't know what the fuck it says. We're not the ghosts, so that's not great. But um, he is. He's talking to camera. Yeah. And but I just like that before the end of the credits, we know this kid can talk to ghosts. Like, I, and, and I say that just because, like, get it out of the way rather than this. You know, the Shining obviously waits. Sixth Sense waits. Mm-hmm. It was a of, really great, interesting. It was thing a great to open way on. to come into the movie. But again, um, bad parents because they're yes. he talks to ghosts in front of his parents. The only one that ever notices that he talks to ghosts is a girl, a teenage girl who babysits him for the first time. She's yes. the only one who's concerned that he's talking to no one. It does so happen that he is talking to her dead sister, though. So yes, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's of course bad parents <laughs> would also say denial is a very strong thing. True. No, like really. (laughs) Like you don't want to believe that your kids are fucked up. So I'm not saying my kids are fucked up. My kids are the best. But you just don't want to believe that like that that that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. So I understand at least psychologically why you would compartmentalize that. But are we – do we feel like that's the case here? With Kevin, I think it's – or Tom, I think he's just ignoring it. And Maggie might just not be aware. Either way – we mm-hmm. do get an interesting thing up top, which is we find out that Maggie's pregnant, which is revealed by the sister right. at the very beginning. Jesus, I totally forgot. <laughs> and that never comes back. Never comes back. That's so weird. <laughs> so there's that. It never it, comes back. They never address they never her address pregnancy. It, they never touch it ever That again. just makes him even worse. Now he well, is this- alienating himself from his pregnant wife and his five-year-old child. Yeah. So as a man with a pregnant wife. And a nearly five, two nearly five year old children, I can attest, shit changes. <laughs> you I, are, I you, have, to op- you sure. have to operate very well, differently. His response to it is shitty. This is the moment at the very beginning of this film where you realize, okay, Tom's kind of a shithead. This is his like anti save the cat moment. It kind of is, where <laughs> basically Ileana, and I, I don't think that this is the best way to do it, but basically the sister outs her mm-hmm. and says, Maggie's pregnant, and his response is like, "Fuck!" And you're like, "Tom, I cannot believe that that never came back." 
That's right. It didn't. That's an answer to a question. The I wonder if it was movie, a bigger part of the book. May, I, Maybe. The only movie I could think of where there's a pregnant character and she doesn't give birth, Fargo. Um, the last line is talking about three more months. Like they're, they're basically, you know. Which I fucking love about perfect, that movie. Yeah, it's, per, it's perfect. Um, but this is another one where a character's pregnant. She never gives birth and it never. You never know. comes back. I, I, I or, don't remember another instance the, of her yeah. talking about it. But no. it's also – it's what's weird about it is it's a way into their strain of their marriage, which I think is interesting. Sure. It's him walking into the kitchen. He's like, obviously, I'm excited. Like, I'm so, – you know, and he kind of eats crow a little bit. And you see the strain between these two. You see his Peter Pan syndrome. You see him talking about, I wish I was a, a, something more interesting. So the pregnancy is used as a device into that and then dropped, which is strange. But – that's how they use it for what it's worth. Uh, then Tom, basically we realize he's a phone lineman. He's living in a working class neighborhood. Uh, we talked about them being cool and going to this party, him being hypnotized, all of that, obviously. I do sort of feel like Samantha as a device or however we want to call it is kind of late. You don't realize that's his mission until pretty deep into this movie. Interesting. Which I find a little bit strange too, because we're talking 45 minutes, maybe, wow. maybe more before you really understand what exactly you're supposed to be paying attention to. I really was, uh, I think I wrote this down in my notes, but the idea is basically, I was very into the first 45 minutes of this movie because yeah. I really wanted to find out how they were going to tie this all together. And I was very let down by Neil spelling it all out right in the middle. Like it felt, yep. felt like, oh, we were just going for this typical kind of murdered girl, you know. Plot. Yeah, yeah. I also thought it was interesting that um, he, Kevin Bacon, who knows nothing about hypnotism, after he starts seeing things, he goes to Ileana Douglas and he's like, "Did you leave me with a post-hypnotic suggestion?" Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "How do you know what that <laughs> is?" Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, he, he, he just knows. Yeah, yeah. He's got uh, the dial-up. So Tom and Maggie <laughs> go to a high school football game, or they're going to one. Uh, and that's when all this shit goes down that I kind of wanted to talk about. The mechanics of this are very weird to me. Oh, I thought they, I thought this was kind of great. Oh, you did? Okay, then I then I thought that. Well, that's a moment I've been in a lot of times. I've I've, I've very very often in my life I found myself in a mass of people going in to some place <laughs> and needing to go the other way. Not necessarily needing to go the other way, but it's impossible to move against those crowds. So having something like. That that requires your immediate attention and having to go against a sea of people like that. The sea and the sea is kind of going into a bottleneck, mm-hmm. so it's even harder to get through that. I thought it was a great. It's not impossible, but I thought it was a great device. The, so the, I the, love the, that. I, no, I let me rephrase. I liked that part of it. The the, mm-hmm. the manic quality yeah. and the feeling trapped and him needing to get out and the the sort of lightning bolt of oh shit, our kid's in trouble. We need to get to our kid. I thought that was all interesting. And well done. It's more about like, I didn't really understand. It's just not well laid out that she hears him talking about it and it's her sister. And then she takes him away and then they go to the subway state. Like, it's just all very kind of like, it's just kind of the red lights. What the every, red all lights the red thing. lights. And he kept seeing things with like a red filter over it. I didn't know what the significance was. Well, the of red that. light leads him to the L station, um. but it's not clear to me. They hit you with a bunch of red lights, but 
Yeah, it's 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 just it's clunky. It doesn't it doesn't all mesh well. But I will ride for her going to the station. Yes, 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 yes. For her mother, which feels very kind yes. of. Sure, I got nowhere to turn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got yeah. So, I that that all worked for me, and mm-hmm. I actually really liked the scene with them in the train yeah. station. Yeah, I thought there was a great energy to it. I liked that he didn't press charges. Like the cop was like not helpful at all. <laughs> not he came over. Useless. He was also he was like. What is this girl saying over here? Like he was very <laughs> they they didn't yeah. and they didn't investigate it. They were like, My sister's been missing for six months. You know, nobody's really taking it seriously. This boy's saying that he's seen it, and then they're just like, Do you want to press charges to the guy? And not like, you know what? Maybe let's all go down to the station and try to figure this out. Because again, there's so many instances where Kevin Bacon is almost implicated is somehow implicated in this girl's disappearance. And no one, like when he's running around at the block party going like, hey, what does anybody know about the 16-year-old girl? And nobody's paying any attention to it. It's It's very strange. But it happens. (laughs) No, it's like the whole, I mean, not to jump ahead to the end, but the whole end does kind of leave you a little cold in that respect too. I think any cop worth their salt would not let him leave. You would think. You know, even like because again, like I don't really necessarily see Kevin Dunn admitting to anything based on Kevin Bacon just being like, I had this vision yeah, inside yeah. this dead girl's brain. Right. Uh like the whole movie only only works because Kevin Dunn is is, is willing to acknowledge what he did. Mm-hmm. I still think the cops like not so fast, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe we should go down to the station. You've been asking a lot. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. It's a little weird. I th- Actually, I think ultimately he, in real life, he gets arrested. Yes. Like I do. I think in real life There's he gets arrested smoke and, he, there. and he stands yeah. trial. So also, so Kevin, here's the other thing. We're going to talk about the rules in the movie. Kevin Bacon knows that the babysitter's stealing his son but how did he get that information? Is this like the psychic aspect? Because the ghost wouldn't be telling him that information. Because why would the ghost care? Because that's her sister. So it's just also like, why is he? There's. I feel like on many occasions in this film, people have information because they need to have the information. Mm-hmm. And people are saying things because it's just like, we just got to keep things moving. Yeah. And I, I mean, again, <clears throat> this is a little bit of a symptom of writing big summer tentpole movies, I imagine, to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Which is that... You have these very expensive action sequences. You have these very elaborate set pieces, and you are writing sort of, you know, connective tissue. And you need people to say things mm-hmm. to keep things moving. And I just wonder whether or not that that might be part of it too. I don't know. Like when they talk about the science and face off. <laughs> <laughs> An argue, uh, a, a great movie. Though. I love face. They really blow through that science. Yeah. Um, so. It's at this point that we realize or that we're told that Samantha has an intellectual disability, which I don't necessarily really see in her depiction right? or understand why we need it. Right. Agreed on it, both of those. It just – so anyway. Yeah. Not, not a fan of that. Nope. <clears throat> uh, Tom denies knowing her to Debbie but admits to Maggie that she's the girl in his visions. Uh, then we have this scene where he's yelling at his kid, basically, and clapping in his face, and then the which is kid, brutal. it freaked me out. And again, they never take the kid to a doctor. They're asking him about Samantha, yeah. and then the kid goes, don't ask the boy any more questions. And then all of a sudden, his voice drops very yeah, deep, and he weird. goes, yeah. talk to me. Yeah, it was weird. It's just like- It was, like, it was creepy, mm-hmm. but apropos of nothing, yep. and not explained in any yep. way. And the parents are just like, oh, we should probably take him to bed and like wake up and live a normal like life tomorrow. He sounds like he's possessed. Yes, he sounds like he's possessed. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And then he's like, do that again. Do that again. Yeah. Like, what? 
Yeah, oh, it's, that's, God. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm. Uh, obviously, Tom becomes obsessed with finding Samantha. He starts talking to the people in the community and eating eating nuts like a crazy person and trying to get information. And saying, they're like, why do you want to know? He's like, I've just been thinking about her a lot. Again, yeah, red flags flag. galore with this guy. Someone call the police. Uh, this attracts the attention of his landlord, Tom's friend, all these people. I, I didn't. I have a sort of a, a love-hate feeling about this community scene because there's a lot of sort of thinly veiled racism and sexism mm-hmm. and a lot of like, you know, blue-collar people talk like this stuff that I just – that didn't ring true to me in the way that it does in a Dennis Lehane adaptation, for instance, where it all just felt a little too like – on the nose. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt that way about the way that the community people speak, but there was a little bit of that. Yeah, it just it felt very surface level. Like it didn't yeah. actually feel it felt like a bunch of actors standing around doing a scene yeah. versus yes. people yes. who It's a very hard thing to pull off if you're yeah. if you're a writer who is not of that kind of it wasn't born into that class. Um and it, it, it rings really false when it's done poorly mm-hmm. and it kind of it, – it's pretty offensive. Yeah. But when it's done well, like in The Sopranos, yeah, it just – you don't feel anything. You just feel like you're just listening right. to people talk yeah. or the why. You, just, you feel like you're listening to or people Mr. talk. Or Mr. Griver. I mean – Mr. You know Griver I mean? always felt yeah. like that too just to, uh, and gone, baby, as gone. well. Mm-hmm. They just so, didn't spend a lot of time with them as a community being together. Like they didn't – they just yeah. didn't have a lot of scenes together where there was more than exposition going on. Well, I think that this is again um, – right. and I don't mean to keep hammering David Cap because it's, it's not fair necessarily. It's his second movie. And we ultimately kind of like the movie. And we or both – at least I, I, I I like the movie quite a bit. I'm, again, these are just – this is what we're here to talk about the movie. But I think that there, this was the most glaring example for me of the direction of the actors not being totally on point and it feeling a little bit, a little bit sort of surface. Like I'm pointing a camera mm-hmm. at these people. They're going to say these lines. Now, again, it's outside. It's a big exterior. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had a ticking clock on them. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, I got to, I got to get through this. I got to get my coverage. I got to get these lines. It's possible that that was what was going mm-hmm. on, but it did feel a little bit, it just felt a little surface, but um, Tom has a vision of Frank's son trying to kill himself, and then it comes true. Basically, um, I can't. Found, oh. You go ahead. It was a little confusing because I understand that in order for the trick to work visually, it has to look the same as reality, but it didn't feel tweaked enough for me to not. I don't know. It just it it, it made my brain hurt. Well, also they they sort of did two different things here. It's like when you see Frank and he's saying they were going to kill you and he walks out and he sits on the steps, that was a very realistic portrayal. It was the exact, you know, blocking the way he said it. But then when he goes in and he sees the kid, it's very heightened. He's like the the way they do like a weird low angle, like push in on him. He's kind of like, ah, and like smears blood all over his face. So it's like, but that's not how it happened. So like yeah, presumably Well, sure. I'm assuming that's yeah. not how it happened too. Once it yes, once it flips and once it's clear that you're not in reality mm-hmm. when the kid does all that crazy shit and it gets all weird, then I was like, oh, "Okay, I get it." But I also just and then when he puts it together and then he runs over there, I don't know. It just it 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 the timelines just got blurry. And then when the kid does try to kill himself, mm-hmm. 
does I don't we don't see it, so we're right. just led to believe that he just shoots himself and Kevin Bacon obviously isn't there and the parents just call nine one one or whatever. It, it's just it's all it's it, but it also is what it is. when they're putting him in the stretcher in the ambulance, Kevin Bacon and his wife and the child they're just, like standing, they're just there. standing there like they're like they're trying not to eavesdrop on a couple having a fight across the street. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like these are your best friends and their child is being loaded into an ambulance yeah. and you're just kind of standing there with your hands on your hips, being like, "Oh, what's going on?" That's I thought weird. that was very strange because you you are playing up this whole aspect that they thought they knew each other yeah. so well, but it's like their child's being loaded into an ambulance and you are it's not reacting to it. Yeah. It's not great. Uh, Then Maggie and Jake see the funeral. They meet Neil. Uh, Neil, Maggie withholds a conversation about Neil from Tom, goes to the meeting by herself. He info dumps a bunch of shit on her Mm -hmm. that that she needs to hear in order for the story to continue. Uh, And as predicted, Samantha continues to plague Tom, leading to insomnia. Um, So Maggie has a bath, and the ghost of Samantha is in... I thought the ghost effects were not great. I thought that the separations were kind of brutal on some of the CG elements for Samantha. Maybe that's just me being picky. But, like, she's in the bathtub, but it's done in a way that looks like it's been, pro- like, the, uh, some sort of a projections mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It. What I thought, I thought you were going to say was they're, like, making new rules for the movie. Well, that too. Because... <laughs> Anytime we see, we only see Samantha when Kevin Bacon can see her. So now all of a sudden we're seeing Samantha, the audience now we're, but Kevin Bacon's not there. So we're now seeing her when nobody else can see her. To, to, to no purpose. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> well, there is a purpose. Um, you know, the full dorsal nudity shot, <laughs> which to me, is that a word? Yeah, sure. Which seems dorsal. Dorsal. Yeah. Uh, what, what From behind? Say? Yes, backside. Backside. Uh, I think that's obviously why they did that. Just for a shot of the I don't woman. know why else would they do that. I don't know why it's, it's in like, there either. Because it really is the whole thing kind of apropos of nothing. I guess it's Samantha maybe because Neil had just said she's going to start getting angrier. and she's gonna, So this was maybe her, I don't know, in the beginning stages of getting angrier. You think it's the heightened suspense for the audience? The idea of like, like what's Maggie's the ghost now do? in danger? Yeah, maybe. yeah, we need to see more of the ghost like now coming after the – now it's going beyond Kevin Bacon. It just feels like a weird – like they're like, oh, it's heightening it now, this, but it really this wasn't. Is, this movie is so is so the opposite of an auteur movie yeah. um, in that yeah. it feels so Frankenstein together. A little bit. Um, and I think, you know, Carrie, keeps, you keep bringing up the rules – and because the rules keep changing and it's very frustrating, but if one person isn't coming up with one team or one collective creative vision isn't coming up with these rules, you're going to run into these issues. Oh, yeah. You could definitely see a, a network or studio being like, I feel like we need a one of those scenes where the wife's getting ready. She's going to get in the shower and you think maybe the ghost is going to kill her in the shower. Yeah. Two women in a bathroom. One's <laughs> naked. You know what I mean? Two women in a bathroom. I think also just uh, – the ghost never does anything bad, right? Oh. Like, the ghost is just there. Mm-hmm. The ghost is just, like, desperate to be like, can you please release me from this fucking place that I'm ghosts in? Ghosts rarely do. It's true. See, like, ghosts, like, my, my thesis about ghosts are always, <laughs> if they weren't bad in, in life, they're not going to be bad in death, right? All they ever want, and this is, like, the whole thing with ghosts, all they ever want their problems to be solved. They're not bad. Well, it depends on the ghost. But you're I mean, saying if they're good in life, I'm saying good if they're in good death. in life, they're they, yeah, they're, so that's fair. They're good in they're that's good fair. at death. They just want to be yeah. talked to. They're yeah. probably just bored of shit, you know. Yeah. And then it's like the ghost story. If they're bad in real life and then they die, then they're probably going to be a bad ghost too. Why Maybe. isn't 
Why isn't Samantha going, why isn't she appearing to the police officer ghost who could actually really do something? Well, You're I, asking I, the hard questions. Probably, <laughs> probably because she has to stay in the house she was killed in. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. right. That, that seems to be yeah. another ghost thing. Is you, you're like you're yeah. confined to where you were. That's how he knows to dig in purposes. the backyard, yeah. even though yeah, she probably can't leave. Oh, and then I oh, but maybe then, that's when, the digging. Saw, maybe she doesn't know where she is. Is that possible? It's possible. But he does. But, it is possible. But, <laughs> it, yeah, but it's just to get her body so he can touch her body. Yeah, and then. I don't know. I googled Again, also. Rules, like, t- yeah. It's like, wait, he's got to touch her in order to like. Right, to fully immerse himself in her. Yeah. I googled because um, I was like, wait, would she be mummified? Um, so I did some googling. And uh, so here's what I came up with. Um, a mummy is a deceased human or an animal whose skin and organs have been preserved by either intentional or accidental exposure to chemicals, extreme cold, very low humidity, or lack of air. So maybe she wasn't getting a lot of because she was in the bag. air because she was in like the wall. But otherwise, I think she just would have been like it's a, a liquefied yeah, she'd just be with goo. bones and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. gross. That's the stuff I think about. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, so Tom at this point goes to Lisa and demands that she undo what she did. And she's like, fuck you. I don't know how to. I'm high. I'm high. I don't care. That's the other thing. Like, who the fuck are you, Lisa, to be throwing shade at Tom? I like, 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 what are you fucking doing I with your life? I hated her character. I love Ileana Del Toro. I did too. I hated the character. I hated the characterization. I yeah. hated the motivation. I really think I hated it as a way into this movie. I think that was it so, felt like, so It felt yeah. like she was meant to be a sort of like the like Sassy. comedic yeah like yeah. the one comedic like okay we're gonna get a break for a second yeah. but it was just never she never i mean i again love Ileana douglas wish that she was the lead in a cable tv show or something right now i don't know why yes. she's not she's give the her best. own effects show give Come her, on, her guys. own effects show she's amazing uh she's she's not done justice in this because she's not really given a ton to do and then she's trying to find comedic inflections but it's not really there on the page mm-hmm. so she just comes across as kind of a shithead yeah it's unfortunate um there's some pot flashes of samantha here visions tell him to dig we get our whole digging thing jake and tom digging in the backyard very close encounters of the third kind has a very sort of like making mountains out of mashed potatoes Oh, um, that's another movie where the white guy is singularly obsessed with something to the detriment of his family. And leaves his family and gets on a fucking yeah. spaceship. <laughs> like, that movie, Spielberg has said in num- on numerous occasions, post having a family of his own, I wrote that before I had kids. I would not leave mm-hmm. my kids and family if I wrote it today. But I do, it's interesting. Uh, that's, the, that's the first one. I don't know why that slipped my mind. But that is that is kind of the the yeah. er document yes. here. Yes. The fulcrum uh, point, if you will. Why yeah. did Kevin Bacon fill his refrigerator with orange juice? Better than women. <laughs> Is that how the saying goes? OJ, better than women. Yeah, that, that's fridge well, full of OJ, better than a fridge full of women. You don't want to fridge, fridge your like I, I, Actually, I think that's so funny when he pours the two glasses. Yeah. You can drink that. Well, yeah, he's doing this weird, like, Vincent D'Onofrio in Men in Black, like, gulping, like, feverishly gulping. And I I understand that, like, when he sort of comes out of these whatevers, he all of a sudden has to drink something. But why a fridge full of OJ? I also found it, and this is such a stupid, but, like, I thought it was weird the way that he, like, poured it between the two glasses where he kept, like, going between the two. Yeah, like, he didn't tip it back up. He didn't stop and then do this. He went, like, and there is that little point where, like, they don't really meet. Yeah, like, so it's just, you're the getting it on. Is, the stream it's is getting on the table. Than, yeah, and you're great. wasting OJ. Getting, and like, drinks on tables is, like, a big pet peeve of mine. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, 
Gross. Just pour it. Grosser than way. cheese? Nothing's grosser than cheese. Literally nothing's grosser than cheese. Like Kenny cheese in cheese. general for you? Oh, all cheese. Well, that's probably great. I mean, a lot of people say that you probably shouldn't eat cheese. and shouldn't Really? Eat. Yeah. So. Who says that? I mean, you I know. I it. I'm a person. Dairy. <laughs> Hey, live your life. There's a lot of things you should eat. A lot of things you should eat. I mean, eat we're not sponsored by any cheese. No, and so. I and I and I love cheese. I, put, I fucking yeah. love cheese. So I put much. two splendors in my coffee. So I know. Talk, I, talk I bought it for someone, you. I know. As I'm saying, someone who <laughs> someone who eats things <laughs> you shouldn't eat. Yeah. Two so, splendors. Two Well, was a venti. But um, who am I? Who am I to judge? I wish you could have seen her face where she was like, maybe. I had a phase where I would dabble a little with Splenda, and I found I could only put. I would take the. Pa- I could use one packet and ten cups of coffee. I would just just a little bit because it was yeah. just so. I can sweet. go three Splendas in one cup of coffee. No, but I love things to be super sweet. Is Splenda mm. your your thing too? No, I've Maybe tried not to use Splenda because you know it might give you cancer. It won't. <laughs> it won't. I've, I've, believe me, I've read up on this. What about stevia? That seems to be a thing a lot of people yeah. like, and it tastes more like real sugar. It's a, I don't know. Well, real sugar is I, apparently I, really bad for you. I've, sugar's the worst thing you can eat. I've had so much Splenda in my life that I th- actually like the taste of that more than You're like sugar. Michael Scott, whose drink is scotch and Splenda. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, gets you drunk like scotch, tastes like Splenda. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. It is. That's an amazing beverage. Yep. Scotch and Splenda. Gets you drunk like scotch, tastes like Splenda. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Do I have my Michael? Yeah, I do. I have my prison mic pin, too. Uh, Prison mic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Maggie and Jake go to her grandmother's wake. Um, Tom inadvertently knocks down a shoddy brick wall, discovers her decomposing remains. The basement set's cool. Yeah. I love the look of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it's a set. Yeah. But it just, like, it it looks like a Tim Burton set yeah. or something. Like, I just yeah. thought it looked cool. Oh, he doesn't go to her his wife's brother's funeral. Which is fucking crazy. And then when she calls him from the funeral, he's like, she's like, are we okay? He's like, yeah, I'm definitely not digging anymore. <laughs> and she's like, great, I'll come pick you up. She offers to come all the way back <laughs> and pick anymore. him up yeah. and bring him to, like, I don't know, the post-funeral service. It was like, no, he should be saying, no, I will get in a taxi. I'm so sorry. I will be there for you. But she, but no, he's like, sure. She's like, I'll, and he doesn't want her to come, but she's going to go get him. Well, the grandmother's wake feels uh, like a just a fucking excuse to get her out of the equation. Oh, yeah, her grandmother. I keep saying her brother. It's, it's fine. But her grandmother's wake... Just feels like an excuse to get the kid and the wife out of the equation so he can find the body. Yeah. But, like, just put them upstairs. Right. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. So I don't know why we needed the wake other than, like, more death, I guess, and funeral. I don't know. Yeah. Why did you? Why? You didn't why? You didn't need it. Then you have – so now you have your big reveal of the horrible rape sequence the and all of that. Uh, and then things get just really – just I don't know, easy, I guess. Yeah, and it just it just very, all unfolds very, very quickly. quickly. <laughs> you know, the, Frank shows up, he discloses that he knew about the crime. The landlord shows up because his son was the one that was involved. He was the other kid yeah. in the whole rape. Mm-hmm. Um and it all just sort of like it all comes out. Kevin Dunn, by the way, who generally speaking doesn't really do stuff like this. He's a great actor. He's a guy who played Frank. He's a guy the who played red, Frank. Red yeah. Turtle. He's, yeah, he's yeah. on Veep. He's on a bunch he's of not, TV shows. He's not my favorite. I like Kevin Dunn <laughs> as a comedic actor. 
You know, he was yeah, the, like he, the, he was be. the dad on in Transformers. Am I crazy? And yeah, Wiki, it was Wiki, 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 He uh, he was in other stuff like that. I think he was in Dave and yes, he's he's uh, yes, he's the other I like Kevin the Dunn. other guy who's he's not- a solid team player. He's a solid guy. If you need that guy, he's the, like a he's- Stephen Tobolowski. Yes, yes. The other guy like this, yes. I, I love Stephen Tobolowski. Yeah, Who's also reason. on Schooled, which premieres Wednesday, <laughs> January 9th at 8.30 after the Goldbergs on, on ABC. ABC. I do love Steven Tobolowski. <laughs> I do. He's um, amazing. That's another reason to watch. But the uh, the Stephen Root yes. and Kevin Dunn, for whatever reason, always take me out of movies. Oh, really? I thought you were just going to say they look alike. They do. They I do. love Stephen Root. I love Stephen So Root. many people do. But for some reason and, – and, Office space notwithstanding. But for some reason, there's something about those two guys that scream acting to me. Interesting. Um, okay. Or even just movie guy. Like guy – like I don't know what it is. And they always take me out. I know people are crazy about Stephen Root. I always felt that way on news radio. It's just like uh, – it's there's something about this. It just He doesn't feel of this world or of any world. I feel the way about Kevin Dunn. Just like he was in Blue Jasmine. It's just like – I don't really want this part of Blue Jazz. Like you're just very aware you're watching an actor. Very aware, yeah, with I, those two. I would say Stephen Root more than Kevin Dunn. Like Stephen Root's a pretty theatrical guy, and his characters tend to be larger than life. So I can understand that being, depending on the film, for instance. Like I think uh, Stephen Root's stuff that he's done with the Coen brothers is great because sometimes he's so cartoonish, and sometimes in their films of that nature, he makes sense there. But I hear you. Um, but my point about Kevin Dunn more than anything was he's very good in this scene. He's mm-hmm. he's really struggling. He's pretty mm-hmm. good in the movie. Yeah. yeah. But it's just there's just something about it. That yeah. It's not the guy I would have cast. That's fair. But. Uh, so then we have the whole tussle between them, between and Harry think, and the son. And we think that Frank, so, yeah. Kevin Dunn, has killed himself. We think that cause because we've heard, a single, a, we've heard a single a gunshot. gunshot. But then like, you know, what we deus ex machina. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I don't know. Uh, so then you think that Harry, Harry takes Maggie hostage. There's like gunshots, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Kevin Dunn kills, kills, uh, Harry and his son. Um, I did really like the gunshot through the various floors and through the kid's bedroom and through the pillow. Cause there I, was a mention of feathers earlier, right? Was there? <laughs> I thought there was a know. mention and I thought the kid said something about feathers. So I was like, oh, well, the, the kid knew that he needed to go to the funeral with the mom. Because he because, saw the future coming. he saw the future. Oh, that, then yeah. that makes sense. There was, I just, there was something, but it wasn't totally clear. Because I was it's like. clearly not because I didn't get that. And I was like, wait, the kid said something about feathers at some point. Oh. Well, then that, I mean, I, I buy that. I'm not sure they needed to go to the funeral in order for that, yeah. for him to not be in bed when the gunshot went off. But all that being said. I thought it was a really nice shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was it had a really cool, you know, energy to it. I thought that uh then Tom notices Smith the spirit put on her glasses and coat outside and we have our Again in a JCPenney JC commercial. Penny <laughs> it's really yeah, it's weird. Like if you take the VO from a JCPenney ad that's like 10, you know, 10% off today. Come in on women's coats and if you just put that VO <laughs> over Samantha putting on her glasses and her that. jacket, it's just yeah. So, and then we have the ending that we've all talked about a million times at this point, which is basically, you know, they pack up their U-Haul, they get the fuck out of Dodge, the kid's still hearing voices, and we're not left with any sense that 
A, Maggie's pregnant and going to have another <laughs> child. Yeah. And B, that they've kind of learned anything from this experience. Though, you could argue, because I, I thought it was strange that they start so tight on a like a U-Haul, yes. and then they're like kind of backing up. And I was like, oh, wait, we're going to see that something's going to happen. But the purpose was just so you could see Maggie and Tom like pass each other. And then they kind of like yeah, grab each hand. other's hands. What was that hand Is that shot? we're just meant to, to think like, oh, okay, maybe they're cool now. But again, you're, you're seeing just their arms. It's not like you're seeing their eyes connecting with each other. But maybe that was how we're supposed to know like, oh, maybe the two of them are okay now. There's also something about the the actual image of slow motion of these hands separating. Again, what are we supposed to take away from that? And the ambiguity of it borders on pretentious? Yeah. (laughs) Kenny Nyberg, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. (laughs) The whole movie borders on pretentious. I know. Yeah. No, I I think that's kind of where it lives. Which is, again, I'm not not critical, just saying that that that's a thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, the, the movie, the final button is a nice thing. Not sure that the movie fully sticks the landing in terms of Mm-mm. growth or lack thereof of our characters or honestly, even where they're headed <laughs> physically, emotionally mm-hmm. or otherwise. But, uh, that's kind of where we're left. I, and then they played pose. Hello in the closing credits, yeah. which I really appreciated. And I left yeah. it on until the very end. Me did. I did too. Mm-hmm. Did you really? Yeah. It's it, a great song. It, it was, it actually kind of helped the whole movie in a weird way really you know well i don't know it it made me a little more comfortable with the ending of the movie you know it gave me some time to just sit and kind of digest, digest it, it. Mm-hmm. but um i don't know you want to uh zero to, so here's what we do on this podcast we do zero to 99 with the ranking of it so you saw this movie in 99 do you remember if you saw it around 99 i probably saw it within it like i probably it was a probably a, a a new release blockbuster rental. Sure. So let's say a year later. So maybe. we rank it zero being the lowest, 99 being the highest. 50% is a recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you would rank this film from zero to 99 in 99, then today before we sat down at the podcast, mm-hmm. and then after if it has been changed by the okay. podcast. Do you want to take a second and think about that? And we can go. Yeah, over, sure. Yeah. Go for it. So I'll do mine first. Um, but I had not seen this film in 99. I knew of it. Um, but I had not seen it. Uh, I gave it a 70 before the podcast. I thought that it was a very solid, you know, thriller. It had some great shots in it. Um, I liked some of the moral ambiguity. I liked that it was kind of messy. Like it never wraps its arms around, wraps its arms around the messiness of this family. But I liked that it dipped its toe in it and that it kind of went to some places that I don't see a lot of movies go to. So I gave it a 70. After the podcast, I'm going down a little bit. I'm going to go down to a 65. I still think it's a re- I, I would recommend the film. I still really enjoyed it. Um, and all the things that I just said, I think still speak to it. But us talking about it made me see, maybe just on the rule stuff, I found myself just being like, yeah, this doesn't, no one took the time to track the rules through this entire mm-hmm. film. Um, because I think they thought they could kind of coast on vibe, mm-hmm. which is, which again, fine that worked for the most part but that's that's where i'm at i never saw this movie before this watch <laughs> i would i did yep. i write it down so i did give this movie a 57 and i'm going to stay at a 57 but it's a different 57 <laughs> if that means anything okay i gave it what i consider to be like a you know solid b minus solid c plus type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. 
watch it late at night. Don't turn it off if it's on. Um, and now after the podcast, I think it's highs are higher and it's lows are lower. Mm-hmm. So, I think I feel the same way. And I think it still kind of lives in that in that 50, like high 50s area, low mm-hmm. 60s area for me. Um, but yeah, you, the, the, the bad stuff is pretty bad, but the good stuff is pretty good. Yeah. So I think, uh, and, and again, a really solid performance from Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. Really who solid. It's always great for the most part, even if he's yeah. not in great movies, he's always great. And he proves in this that like, you can fucking hang up a movie on Kevin Bacon. And I'd also say some really interesting ideas at work here. Yeah. And the generous reading of it is. That they uh, they're that they're all intended to be there, and that David Kep did have kind of a mission statement, and he and he carried it through to the best of his abilities, given what I think was a lot of interference. Yes, what I assume is a lot of interference yeah. from other parties. That's it. Um, having probably seen this in two thousand when I was a teenager, at the time I probably would have given it like a seventy percent because I didn't really dive into. I mean, I didn't think about it the way I think about it now. Sure. Having someone who's gone to film school and is a writer and also just is more aware of how women should be treated and what we deserve. <laughs> um, and now after having watched it again, I think it drops down to like the fifty percent for me because I would say like if you want to see a good like kind of supernatural movie of that time that's kind of similar, see The Sixth Sense. If you've already seen The Sixth Sense, maybe see What Lies Beneath. It's been a minute since I've seen that, but from what I recall, that's a better movie that came out right around the same time. That's I think it's a better movie. kind of yeah. similar. Um, and then, you know, if you want to see kind of a scary movie that actually touches on parenting and, and what it is to be a good parent, or be- then watch Bird Box. <laughs> <laughs> I thought well, you were going to say The Shining. Bird Box or The Shining, of course. Um, so, yeah, I I wouldn't necessarily – I just think there are there, – I think there are movies that are like this that are better, both that came out in the 90s and that are here today. And unless you're like a huge Kevin Bacon fan and just love seeing Kevin Bacon, I wouldn't necessarily take wait, take the time to watch this movie. Yeah, I don't I – don't. I don't disagree. I obviously landed a little higher than you guys, mm-hmm. but I pretty much agree. I mean, I think that, you know, I high 50s, low 60s is basically kind of where I'm at for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes. I think that, but, you know, I, I also kind of understand why people think it's a gem. Like, I understand why if, and it happened, as I said earlier, but it does happen a lot where people feel like they've discovered a movie. They found some little movie that people didn't know existed. And when that movie is better above average, people can kind of make them into something that they're not. And mm-hmm. this, this isn't to me, this isn't like the Donnie Darko thing though. Like Donnie Darko, people have issues with that, but there's something very kind of exciting about mm-hmm. Donnie Darko. There's something really kind of sure. exciting about what they're trying. And Boondock Saints is a 1999 movie. It is. Totally despise it. But there is something also kind of exciting about what they're trying to do in that Because there's a voice, I There's think. a mission mm-hmm. statement there. there it's, it's, it's basically vigilanteism mm-hmm. is good. You're speaking and, of Boondock Saints. Yeah, also. and I think people get excited about this. I don't see that in this movie the same way. There's, to me, very few new ideas in this movie. Almost no new ideas in this movie. Well, I think that, yes. And to, to, to mirror what you're saying, I think that Donnie Darko and Boondock Saints, for good or for bad, both have a sense of vision and a voice, and there's a person behind it that's taking some swings. By the mm-hmm. way, so Ghost like, Dog is another one of these movies. Sure. That we will be doing... Next week. Next week. Um, we are doing Ghost Dog next week with... With Jordan Heimer and Manny Figueroa, two writers on Step Up High Water who work with me, mm-hmm. or did used to work with me. 
Uh, and hopefully we'll work with me again if we get a second <laughs> season. Or actually, it's a third season. It's just our second season. I uh, I had seen bits and pieces of Ghost Dog. I had not seen it in its entire. Have you seen Ghost Dog, the Jim Jarmusch movie? I haven't, but I'm imagining Ghost Dad, but with a dog. Sadly, not no, the case. Yeah. Or not sadly, actually. I'm actually really happy that this film is not about a dog that's a ghost. <laughs> well, it's so funny because you say Ghost Dog. I said Ghost Dog to my wife. What did you watch last night? Ghost Dog. And I made the joke. I'm like, yeah, it's about a dog who's a ghost. But it's not. It's, not. it's even weirder than that. Do you know what it's about? No. It's even weirder than that. But if it's, it's Jim Jarmusch, I feel like it's pretty weird. It's pretty weird. It's Forrest Whitaker plays a hitman for the mob mm-hmm. uh, who is heavily inspired by samurai, by, by the samurai ethos to the point where like he, it's, it's all his life, right? But not in a cartoon. It's a very weird way. It's not in a cartoonish way. It's not. Um, he just, he's, it's a really bas- beautiful he's, basically a, he's basically a modern samurai. Uh, that like literally un- unsheaths his gun. Yeah, not like not a samurai knives. sword. Yeah, it's not swords. It's it's guns. <laughs> but he's a modern samurai living in the city, working for the mob as a hitman, and uh, basically. And RZA did the score. RZA did the score is in is in it briefly. And, you know, ninety nine like it's a great score. So there's so many yeah interesting surprising ideas at work here there's never been a movie like it since i agree there n- never had been a movie like it up to that point yeah it's um, going to be a really i'm i'm really excited to do that episode and these which we'll and, be recording and, after this episode and, yeah and these and the and these guys are perfect for it i'm super excited um, but um carrie thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me this has been back? an adventure i would love to come back okay. will yeah. you look at the list and see if there's anything else on there that you uh i know you mentioned broke down palace yeah, because I like I used to like to do that to my friend, which is kind of funny. Yeah, um, <laughs> he just threatened to broke down palace your friends like when you're out traveling together, is that like leaving them in a foreign country. Yeah, yeah, it's like letting them take the fall and oh, leaving fun. them. All right, so when can we do that movie? I, I really, I kind of only little. All right, so we'll we'll schedule it right now. <laughs> Right. I mean, get if, out, if you want to, yeah, you wanna, I'll come back for Palace. It's been a minute since I've seen it. That so. movie I saw again. I saw it in '99, but I couldn't tell you. I just remember the ending being crippling and yeah. brutal. And then Claire Danes and up Claire against Danes the thing, going, screaming. "I didn't do it." Yeah, remember that Claire Danes ugly cries through that entire film. And brilliantly. Yeah. In classic oh God, Claire Danes Claire fashion. Claire Danes. I, I truly, I can't I love wait to that do woman. it. Gary, you're booked. <laughs> Great. Um, thank you for coming thank on. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm at uh, PM Iskov on Instagram and Twitter. We are at podcast like 1999. Kenny is at Nybart. And what are you on? Uh... I'm really bad at branding myself. So I'm <laughs> Squid Eat Squid on Twitter, which is like dog eat dog, but with squid. And I'm Squidzy on Instagram. Uh-huh. So what and is the... the squid reference can i ask am i allowed to ask yeah it's um my old roommate lily was a teacher and uh she it was valentine's day and a bunch of the little kids were making cards for each other and one little girl got a card from a little boy and she started crying and she threw it in the trash and lily went and took the card out of the trash and on the front it said like you know to beth i love you love aaron and she opened up the card and the child had drawn a very graphic um, picture of a squid eating another squid. Um, and at the time, I was working on a book of nonfiction humor essays, and one was called Squid Eating Squid, and it was all about love and relationships. And that was when I got Twitter. Um, and so it just kind of all stuck. And time. yeah, and now I'm just lazy and I won't change it to make it something else. 
All right. That's two guests. That's two guests in a row. Yeah. Who, who re- don't really who like their handles. Their, who regret their very clever Twitter I'm like, handles. I'm fine with it. It's just. I like it. It's I like just it not, you know. It's not emblematic necessarily. Yeah. And you. it's also, and it's not clever. Like um, a friend of mine had one. It was just called like Vanessa Williams. And I just thought that was very funny for Vanessa Williams. Sure. I don't know why, but it's also not clever and like a fun, like I love puns. I who just didn't. Love a pun? I love yeah. Puns. You know. Well, thank you for coming on. We can't wait to do Broke Down Palace with yes. you. Yes. And uh, thank you for listening. Fantastic. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast like it? Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You want a podcast? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.